What's going on, everyone? It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. We are getting closer and closer to the college football season. After having these conversations today, I'm really excited about the college football season, and I'm finally catching that football fever. No Big 12 Media Days this year, so this was kind of my way to just touch base with the people I always enjoy having conversations with at that event and just kind of getting an idea of what the storylines are with each of these teams as they enter the season. Where are they strong? Where are they weak? What do we have to look forward to as far as the teams in this Big 12 conference? So it was just great to talk football and great to preview each of these teams as we inch closer and closer to the football season. God willing, it happens. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast rate the podcast, review the podcast, share the podcast. I would appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels, Instagram Colby.Daniels. And with that, let's just jump into it. Here is my 2020 Big 12 preview. We begin the Big 12 preview with the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma goes 12 and 2 in 2019 conference title, college football playoff appearance, and they are the favorites to win the league once again in 2020. Joining us to preview the Sooners, John Hoover, publisher at SI Sooners, allsooners.com. Check out his SI Sooners podcast and take a look at his YouTube channel. John, what's going on? Colby, it's been a long time, my friend. It's good to hear your voice. Well, I appreciate you having me on, first of all. That's very cool of you. Yeah, it's, you know what, football season's right around the corner and uh, you're one of my favorite people to talk football, so... Well, that's kind of my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> you guys used to ask me questions about the Oklahoma City Thunder on the radio, and I'm like, dude, I don't really right. watch the Thunder. It's not really much, my thing, so. yeah. Yeah, stick to football. Yeah, well, look, if, if football happens, I think we're all really excited. Last week was a big week when the Big 12 gave us the green light. Um, it's funny that Oklahoma right now is a national story because they send kids home. They have kids come back this week, nine positive tests, I know that's kind of looked at as a negative, but if anything, to me, when you look at what they've been able to accomplish over the last couple months, these nine tests, to me, indicate they're doing something right and maybe them being in the football facilities is the better way to go. To me, it was really illustrative of the the um, multiple layers of protection that Oklahoma... Lincoln Riley, Scott Anderson, the, the Brock Schnabel, the medical crew, the testing, the laboratories, the facilities, Joe Stiglione, everybody has laid down all these layers of protection for the players. And watching OU turn in four consecutive weeks of zero positive tests after initially reporting, and then the fifth week they had one positive, it just goes to show these guys are better off in a controlled environment. And, and, yeah, I think Bob Boldby said um, late last week, we don't have a bu- bubble in college football, but the college football preseason training camp situation is as close to a bubble as you can have. And so what does Lincoln Riley do? He, he looks at the schedule, the schedule moves up, then the schedule moves back, then the schedule moves up again, and now it's moved back two weeks. He looks at the, the whole, the big picture and says, I can't put these guys through a seven-week training camp. I just can't. They're going to go stir-crazy. So he gives them a week off, and I'll be damned. They come back, and it's nine positive tests. <laughs> and it just underscores the the job that OU has done in the preseason, and it underscores the need for these guys to be in a controlled environment. 
And speaking of the controlled environment, I think this is where the real test begins, right? Because students on campus is where you lose yeah. some of that control. And, and I know even this morning, I saw Mike Gundy say something along the lines of 75% of his players were going to be taking online classes or mostly online classes or something along those lines. So I'm curious how Lincoln Riley approaches, you know, the whole class and student body interaction for his players. Well, was, was there a, a sorority at Oklahoma State that basically got completely decimated, shut down by the COVID positive test? I mean, kids are going to be kids. We've seen videos come out all weekend of, of kids reporting to campus, not just in Oklahoma, but nationwide. And they are doing anything but social distancing. They are dancing and they are celebrating and they are, they're blowing off some steam. They've been cooped up all summer. I mean, I feel bad for them. I'd hate to have been a 20-year-old kid in a situation like this. I'm, I'm an old guy now, so sitting around the house doesn't bother me much. But, uh, you know, these, these kids, it's, it's, you're right. When, when, when they're around the general population, the student population, it's going to be difficult. They're going to want to attend parties. They're going to want to hang out. They're going to want to meet new people. And um, if, you know, Joe Castiglione said it best, I think on, uh, on Friday, um, the kids have got to show – uh, discipline they've got to show um some some self-control and not not telling them that they can't do anything but just follow these rules wash your hands wear a mask socially distance uh all that stuff if they follow those guidelines i think they'll be better off but again you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids how about kennedy brooks opting out that was pretty shocking <laughs> news for me i mean this is i i think he's one of the premier running backs in college football yeah, shocking news it seemed to be for Lincoln Riley, too, because we talked to Lincoln on Saturday, and he said Kennedy's come back to camp in, in the best shape of his life, and he's looking good and can't wait to see what he does. And then next, the next day, Sunday, Jason Kersey from The Athletic says he's opting out. So caught Lincoln Riley by surprise, I think, as much as anybody else. Um, and, and we haven't seen Kennedy Brooks to this point that I know of. I haven't been tuned in very much this morning because I've been on some other stuff, but I don't think we've seen Kennedy Brooks come out and say anything official. So I believe I, I would suspect anyway, that there's probably a little bit of um, bargaining going on, not negotiating because that includes, uh, you know, what negotiating means. It just, it, I would think that Lincoln is probably saying, are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Do you realize how much you could improve your draft stock with another big year, 12, 1500 yards, something like that? If you want to go to the draft next year, they're going to want to see you play your junior year. So, you know, there may be some of that going on. I don't know for sure, but the question to me becomes if, if he, he sticks to his guns and opts out, what level of interest might there be for someone like Trey Sermon to come back. Um, you know, number one, Trey Sermon, let me back up. Number one, the NCAA is going to be inundated with Big Ten players, especially seniors who and Pac-12 who want to transfer. And so if, it, if they're doing it on a case-by-case basis, it'll be like 2027 before they get to Trey Sermon alphabetically. You know what I mean? It just takes forever for those uh, yeah, guys to do anything. Unfortunately, So they may issue a, a blanket kind of waiver that, hey, if you're in the Big Ten and you want to play your senior year somewhere else, go ahead. You're, you know, not, knock yourself out. If that's the case, then you got to ask, does Trey Sermon want to go back to Oklahoma? Because he GTFO'd last year, right? I mean, he, he fell off the depth chart and said, screw this, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. So he went to Ohio State. Would that even be on something of his to-do list? 
And then the, the third element, would Lincoln Riley even want him back? Because Lincoln Riley's the one that, you know, and, and Jay Bulware at the time, the ones that pushed him down on the depth chart. So he was doing something apparently that didn't sit well with those guys. Would they want him back? So, man, this thing's got a million tentacles. I think what we're going to end up seeing is Trey Sermon stays away, Kennedy Brooks stays away, and Oklahoma goes to an extremely green depth chart at the running back position. What's the what's the Ramondre Stevenson situation? He's out how many – the suspension, he's out how many games? Yeah, if they play 12, he's out for six. Okay. He's, he's got to play – he's going to be suspended for half a season. So he's on one right now. So that means he would miss the first five games. So if half a season now constitutes 10 games, which is where Oklahoma's at, the Big, the Big 12 Conference, does that mean he's only going to miss four games and that he would thus be available – for oh man, where's I don't even have Oklahoma's new schedule in front of me. So uh, I, I don't think he would be available for the Texas game. I think that's the uh, third game of the year, and that you know it's just I, I don't. There, there's a lot of and then that currently, if you talk to Lincoln Riley, which again we did on Saturday, that's currently under appeal. They're appealing that whole suspension thing. So he's hopeful. Lincoln's hopeful, and I'm sure Ramondre is that they'll have them for the season opener on September 12th against um, Missouri State. So there's there's so much gray area, and there's so many unprecedented circumstances, Colby, with this this offseason and this preseason. Man, and then hopefully we even get the season to happen. But once right. it starts happening, there's going to be more unforeseen circumstances that we just can't answer right now. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a big opportunity for some young guys. And I mean, if you're going to lose players at any position, running back is probably the one that you can have unproven guys show up and, and not have nearly the, the jump that it takes for a lot of other positions. And, and you know, guys like TJ Pledger and Marcus Major have mm-hmm. a big opportunity ahead of them. Yeah, and I would think Seth McGowan is uh, the true freshman is a guy who could come in um, and, and possibly carry the load. He's, he's a big, thick, muscled up runner, um, powerful guy, quick, sudden, but you know, he's one of those workout warrior. When you watch him work out, you're just like, Oh my gosh, he's got that kind of um, physical ability. Kind of like when Adrian Peterson came in, he just, you knew right away that dude is better than everybody else out right. here. McGowan's got a little bit of that. When you look at him and you see him run and explode and you're like, Okay, that dude's different. Um, but again, you're talking about a true freshman. So I, I think it'll be by committee this year. I think Oklahoma's going to try and, you know, Lincoln Riley's going to move the football like he always does, but it's going to be by committee at the running back position. Another guy that had that suspension issue was Ronnie Perkins. Is he, I mean, does he fall under the same umbrella that, uh, that Stevenson does? Yeah, I don't know each guy's, and I don't think anybody does know each guy's individual. Uh, a case or appeal. I don't know if Oklahoma is doing a blanket appeal like all three of these guys, uh, Stevenson, Perkins, and Trajan Bridges need to be reinstated right away or reduce the number of games, whatever it is. But I I get the feeling that's what it is, that they're all in the same group. All right, I got to get your opinion on the quarterback position because, and and to a large degree, it's gone really – untalked about because of of all the other scenarios happening in the college football world but uh for the third year in a row there are people that are that swear to me that this is a quarterback race and that one guy does not have the job by any means your belief in whether it's going to be spencer rattler tanner mordecai or whether once again we're just kind of hearing that it's a race and and it really isn't 
Yeah, I kind of fall two different ways on this. Number one, um, Lincoln Riley's going to—he's uh, going to stick to the to the company line, and that is nobody gets handed a job here, and everybody is uh, competes for their playing time and earns it. I, I, I get that. I believe that. I really believe that. I don't think in. Listen, if Sander Mordecai comes in and he's he's the best quarterback in this camp, um, he's been the the most effective quarterback maybe during the offseason, during the pandemic, which would be kind of hard to get a read on, but still, you see what I'm saying. If Tanner Mordecai is further ahead uh, in the playbook and more experienced, then I then I think Lincoln Riley is not absolutely not above saying, sorry, look, I know you're Johnny Five Star, but Spencer Rattler, you're going to have to sit out because Tanner won the job. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's out of the question. Now, when you line those two things up, is that a is that a possibility? Yes. Is it likely? Absolutely not. Um, I think Spencer Rattler physically stands out. He's got a he's got a better arm, Colby. I think than any of the three previous quarterbacks. When 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 I say better arm, I mean I'm talking exit velocity, um, spin rate, whatever you want to say. It. This kid has got an absolute cannon. Now, does that mean that you have the tools that it takes to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma? No. There's a there's a lot of things that he's got to improve on but here's the deal Tanner Mordecai got hurt in the preseason nothing serious but he's just missing time that gives a huge advantage to Spencer Rattler yeah. to be able to move forward in this competition well the only the only part about this that's interesting to me because I kind of fall in the same category as I have the last two years like I think two years ago we all kind of it's Kyler Murray's job he's clearly the better mm-hmm. quarterback and and Again, with Jalen Hurts, you know, he comes in and, and even though he wasn't a polished passer, the skill set that he possessed alone was was going to to give him the best opportunity for them to have success. Um, with Mordecai, I, I know Spencer Rattler has this all-world arm, but Mordecai's also one of those guys that when you watch him throw the football, there's a wow factor there. Like, he also has one of those balls that just kind of jumps out of his hand, and that to me is just a little bit different aspect in comparing this race to maybe the other ones. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. But like I said, he's been there a year longer, so he knows the playbook, you know, and, and Lincoln Riley's requirements probably a little bit better. He's just maybe a little more familiar with it, a little more second nature. That's important to a quarterback. And then, you know, he's from Waco, Texas. Uh, Spencer is from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I'm not trying to uh, to knock anybody in Phoenix or high school football in Phoenix, but it, let's be honest, it's not <laughs> on the level that Central Texas is. Central yeah. Texas is as good a football in high school at the high school level as there is in the country. Um, so, so put put a blue check mark or whatever in uh, Tanner Mordecai's column on that one. And then the other thing is, we, we've talked to Tanner Mordecai a couple of times through the years interviewed him press conference situations these these aren't the most telling and revealing situations that you can put a guy in but sometimes you get a sense about people from how they answer questions and what their body language is when they look at you when they answer your questions he's got a little bit of an edge to him he's got a little bit a little bit i'm not saying he's baker i'm saying he's got a little bit of that baker mayfield go ahead and doubt me i can't wait to prove you wrong edge you know kind of chip on his shoulder so it's, I think he's probably like laying in wait, like the, the lion that's kind of laying in the grass. Everybody's counting him out. Everybody's saying the other guy's going to do it. But here he's just waiting for, for his opportunity to get back on the practice field, first of all, and then say, watch this. I told you guys I could do it. 
a year ago, I kind of felt like the offensive line also maybe contributed to that decision being significantly easier when you looked at Jalen Hurts' skill set and his physical ability um, versus, you know, maybe a young guy like Spencer Rattler that is not nearly as big. And, and we, not saying he can't, but we, you know, don't know what that looks like taking a, a physical beating uh, like, like we know Jalen Hurts can. That group should be significantly better this year, right? The O-line should be absolutely significantly better. I'm kind of still hung up a little bit on what Lincoln Riley said. I think it was March 8th, the the pre-spring practice press conference. He said there's going to be changes around here, basically. You know, um, the the offensive line, we put up a bunch of big numbers last year, and most, most teams in the country would kill for the kind of numbers that we put up. But we have high standards of our offensive line, and those guys have got to be better. And he said there will be likely changes across the board. Now, does that mean, uh, you know, uh, obviously I think everybody's job is open except for Creed Humphrey. Um, they, they return all five starters, though. How many offensive line in the country right now, except for, you know, R.J. Proctor, the grad transfer last year, who was a kind of a spot starter, they return all five guys. So does that mean that you're all Big 12 right tackle Adrian Ely preseason of course might have to give up some some reps to Stacy Wilkins or does that mean Bray Walker is going to step into a starting role in, in place of Marquise Hayes or you know the other side um it's just it's just going to be fascinating to watch what what he eventually what Bill Biedenboe eventually chooses to do with those guys because I, you saw them grow into their roles last year you saw it from the from the beginning especially protection on the left side you saw them get better, I thought, week by week by week. And you now imagine an offseason and, and, you know, maybe a little bit of spring practice and preseason under Bill Biedenboe. You get, to grit, you get to get that much better. Those guys should be really good this year. The question becomes, where does the competition come from? Can some of those young guys get in there and upset the apple cart a little bit? Let's talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, Alex Grinch, I, I think, is fantastic and, and brought a, a new sort of um, – mentality to that group and we're getting ready to go into this season and I I think again the expectation should be higher Uh, you should expect a certain level of improvement the Caleb Kelly injury to me is is big time just from a leadership standpoint Mm -hmm. yeah I I agree Um, I think Joe Castiglione agrees with you that uh, that that he's uh, that Alex Grinch is pretty fantastic he gave him a $400,000 raise up to 1.8 million dollars this year so he's sitting pretty um, and he's going to have, you know, if the if the defense shows more improvement this year, he's going to have his pick of, of big time jobs probably next year, if not the year after. Um, there's some issues obviously up front that we could talk about. Ronnie Perkins missing potentially four games. Who knows what the NCAA how it's going to shake out? Could be five games. He's their best pass rusher. Um, you, you saw a DUI in the uh, in the off season. Uh, just just last week, that uh, that affects could, it's not going to affect much. Jalen Redmond got dinged for a DUI, but uh, I don't think he's going to miss much time, if any. Um, but that whole thing of the way they played defensive line, I mean, they went out and got the two best junior college number one and number two ranked junior college defensive tackles in the country. They're going to add depth there. They're going to replace Neville Gallimore and some seniors that graduated. They, they need to. But how are they going to handle Ronnie Perkins' absence? 
Um, what does Nick Benito do at the rush end? Does he slide inside a little bit to, to help out the absence of Caleb Kelly? Are you going to see some other guys? Um, maybe Joseph Wete. Uh, there's, a, there's a freshman who's, gosh darn it, his name escapes me right now. I don't have it in front of me, but he, he might get in there and get some reps at the rush linebacker. There's so I don't, I don't know what Alex Grinch is going to do. There's so many possibilities. Like each position has the potential to have two or three or even four guys stepping in and saying, uh, I'm going to get in the rotation. I'm going to get some snaps. I'm going to be a starter. So it, it, there's a lot of it up in the air. And I, I'm with you on Caleb Kelly. I thought he was going to have a big year. He's proven as a, as a playmaker, very productive guy, game-changing plays in his career. And, you know, just uh, I don't think he's going to seek a sixth year. I, I think he's kind of ready to move on. That's my guess anyway. I could be wrong. But the the question then becomes, and I'm sure this will be next on your list, is is if they figure some things out up front and they get those those JUCOs in there and they get some guys in there that can make plays and they figure the, the, they shake out the linebackers in, in the best position that they're going to be, what does the secondary do? That that would be my next question. Yeah, it's it's funny because sometimes when we talk about teams preseason and you say, like, everybody's back in this unit, that may be a good sign. Sometimes having <laughs> everybody back isn't a good sign, right? Um, I, I do like – I think you know, Trey Brown, I think, has, has shown flashes throughout his career and is a guy that I, I still expect big things from. And I like what we saw from Jaden Davis as a, as a freshman last year at the cornerback spot, but – you know, the safeties, John, have been an issue, I, I feel like, for as long as I've been covering OU. Yeah, it, it really has. And a lot of that reflected on Mike Stoops, I thought. Um, but a lot of it just, you know, Alex Grinch came in last year and he said, well, my safeties are Turner Yell and Pat Fields, and um, that's who we're sticking and with. That's, yeah, and every and week. Those two. Every week we'd ask him and say, "What you got any others? You know, because sometimes those guys weren't playing really well. And he goes, nope, those are my best two safeties. And every week we'd go back in and say, anybody else? Nope, those are my two guys. They led the team in snaps at their position. Of all the starters, they let those two positions led their – those two guys led their position in snaps because he refused to, you know, through his evaluations and practice, he refused to put trust in anybody else. So then you look at, you know, how things shook out in the bowl game. Turner Yell was obviously gone, but they had to, you know, make some make some sh- some shifts and some changes and make some moves with some guys, and nobody was comfortable. And, and Joe Burrow and those guys, those receivers, just embarrassed them. So you know, it's been a it's been a year long kind of thing now for Alex Grinch, year and a half that he's been out there recruiting safeties who are six foot one, six foot two, six foot three, even six foot four in some cases. And he's getting commitments from guys that walk in the room and they look the part. But, again, some of these guys are true freshmen. They were in high school this time last year. Can you expect those guys to come in and take take a junior's job or take a senior's job um, like Turner Yell or Pat Fields are both juniors? Can you expect the young guy to come in there and outplay a Buki Radley-Hiles? I think an X factor on this particular this, – this year's secondary could be Trey Norwood. He was down to start, basically – at Nickelback last year in preseason camp. I think first practice of the, uh, of the camp, he blew out his knee. He was, he had worked his way into a starting role. And then you, you saw um, Buki have to come in and hold down that spot. Well, Trey Norwood's back this year, but Trey Norwood was trained as a corner. So is he going to come in and step in for Jaden Davis? Or is he going to step in for Buki? 
or is he going to compete and maybe replace Pat Fields or DeLaren Turner Yell? He's I think he's experienced enough and good enough that he could challenge at any of those three positions. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Hard to believe that this is going to be the fourth season for Lincoln Riley as the head coach. I mean, it just when you consider everything he's accomplished, it feels like it, it should be longer than that. Nobody accomplishes what he has uh, in, in only three seasons. But if you're evaluating each of his teams coming into the year, how do you, like, from a question mark standpoint, do you feel like there are as many or more question marks about this team coming into the season than anything he's had to deal with previously? Uh, absolutely, and it starts with his position, quarterback. Um, there, there's just a, a great unknown quantity to this year's quarterback situation. We think it's going to be Spencer Rattler. We're 95% sure it's going to be Spencer Rattler, maybe 90%, but how, how good is Spencer Rattler going to be? You know, in, in 2020, listen, I think he's, he's got an unlimited ceiling, but how good is he going to be in 2020? That's, that's a huge question because, you know, you had three years of Baker Mayfield. You had Tyler Murray, who was the number one overall draft pick, like Baker. Uh, you had Jalen Hurts, who was the guy who started for two years, two and a half years, uh, in, in some circles at Alabama, who played in national championship games and conference championships and proved himself as a competitor and an athlete and all that. Well, well now you're going to a guy who's really, truly, except for three mop-up duty you know, games last year, has never played college football. So it all starts to me and ends with quarterback. I think Alex Grinch will mix and match the pieces in the right spot. I think Bill Beatonbow will find the right guys. I think the running backs will emerge as they need to. And the receiver core has got a lot of question marks as well. Um, just with transfer guys and guys coming off injuries and things like that. So there's a lot of question marks there. I think everybody's going to be okay though, in terms of talent and ability and playmaking and scoring touchdowns at the right time or the question for me is going to always, until we until we know for sure, it's going to come back to quarterback. It's interesting because without the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in the equation, barring the the Big 12 champion, you know, having three losses maybe, it, it almost feels like you win a Big 12 championship, you're going to be in the college football playoff. <laughs> you better be. You better not finish behind somebody <laughs> that's, uh, that's a runner-up in the ACC. Can you imagine that? Right. Ew, that would be gross. Oh, wow. It, it, yeah. Can you imagine four straight college football playoffs with I, four I different I, starting quarterbacks? I mean, that's a real possibility for as much as, a, as we're asking the question, what are they going to look like? That's a real possibility. Absolutely. Uh, it's a real possibility. Um, if Mike Gundy gets his act together in Stillwater and he doesn't have any of his main players opt out and he stops losing offensive linemen, I think Oklahoma State's got a chance to challenge for, for the uh, Big 12 this year. Bedlam should be fun. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a blast. Um, and the Texas game, by the way, is October 10th, which is what it already was, but it is the Sooners' fourth game of the year, assuming they get the first three played against Kansas, <laughs> uh, against uh, Missouri State, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Very nice. John, good to hear your voice, my friend. I'm, I'm glad that as of now, uh, the college football season has the green light and we are marching forward. Absolutely. We're going to keep our head down and uh, hope the tests, positive, the tests keep coming back positive and uh, we'll stay positive throughout this whole thing and hopefully we have football in, uh, what is it, about three weeks. Yeah, it's close, which is outstanding. Yep. Thanks, Colby. All, right. All right, my friend. Good to hear you. Stay safe. You too. Our next preview is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. 
OSU 8-5 and five in 2019. Mike Gundy going into year number 16 in Stillwater. Casey Dunn takes over as offensive coordinator, a team that's as explosive as any in college football offensively. With our Oklahoma State preview, he is the sideline reporter for Cowboy Football, host on Triple Play Sports Radio. He is Robert Allen. It's been a, a crazy few days in Stillwater, I would imagine. What's going on? Well, yeah, it's been crazy if you're a student and you like to hang out on the strip and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> there was apparently a fight on the strip that I saw the video. I, I, I don't know if I would call that a real fight or, you know, that's using the term loosely, I guess. But uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's always in this, in the pandemic. There's always something to talk about, and there's always something going on. So, I just want to uh, know yeah. when Stillwater uh, started having raves because I, when I lived there, at least there was nothing, at least like like I saw in the the party videos. So, is is the rave scene new to Stillwater? Well, it, it, yeah, I guess so. And you're not going to find me anywhere near it. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess. I guess so. Uh, I I understand some of that video, and a lot of it was taken by. I talked to John Helsley, who's the advisor now for the Ocali, the former Oklahoman uh, sports reporter, and uh, he said that uh, some of the video that his students took uh, was used all the way in Washington by the Washington Post. So, um, so yeah, Stillwater's making headlines, but not not necessarily the headlines you want to be making. That's, yeah, not the good ones. Uh, I did hear Mike no. Gundy yesterday say something along the lines of most of the players, and I think he may have said like 75% were going to take online classes. Yeah, they're, they're doing everything uh, right. I mean, they're trying to, with regards to keeping uh, roommates separate of players that would be you know, at the same position, they're trying to spread them out. Uh, Spencer Sanders um, sits on the opposite side of the quarterback meeting room of the all the other quarterbacks. Uh, they're doing all those kind of things. The, the, the things we've heard from the beginning from college football teams uh, on trying to make sure, you know, if you do get a COVID spike, it doesn't wipe out your entire offensive line or it doesn't wipe out your entire quarterback room or your running back room. So they're, they're doing all those things. And then uh, it's, it's been a long time since the, I think the bulk of classes by Oklahoma state football players were on campus in person. I I think as much as possible, uh, not just football players, I think athletes period look for opportunities to take online classes because it just ends up being more convenient. You know, you can, you know, you can do a, a strength training session in the morning and not have to worry about jumping in, getting a shower, getting dressed, and going on campus. You can just get in front of a computer and do your class right after you lift weights. I mean, that's that's just kind of the, the convenience of that. So, yeah, he said yesterday that 75% of the players uh, either were taking 9 of 12 hours or 12 of 15 hours uh, virtual. Yeah, I, I – I mean, that's probably the only way to go. My fear throughout all of this for college football versus the NFL is not only roster sizes and personnel sizes of, of these college programs versus, you know, a 55-man NFL locker room, but the interaction that they have every day if, in fact, you do have students on campus. And, and I know, obviously, 
Stillwater had that like special city council meeting yesterday, and I guess Burns Hargis even made um, some comments yesterday about how just the the city in general needs to um, you know take this thing more seriously than the videos maybe showed. I, I think in all all cases. I don't know that that's necessarily representative of the way that everybody is behaving in, in Stillwater, but uh, certainly it's enough to, to raise the flag. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I know this, Mike Gundy preached this on uh, both Friday and Saturday after practice, he preached to his, his team, stay away from it, stay away from uh, the strip, stay away from campus corner, stay away from Joe's, stay away from, uh, any parties you know of because any of those gatherings are going to be opportunities for you to wreck the season, for you to bring it back and uh, your teammates. And, they, and Monday was of this week was a testing day for Oklahoma State. So midweek, they're going to find out. Right now they have no COVID cases active. But um, – and if they're that way Wednesday and Thursday – then it's going to be that's that. Then then I'm going to say the Cowboys showed unbelievable discipline and and probably have a really really good chance of moving on and uh, playing football and having a pretty good pretty good season because they've learned how to keep themselves out of harm's way. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, for a couple of weeks we saw the hashtag on Twitter, "We want to play," and and all of these players voicing their opinions of of how they want this handled and and saying that they want the opportunity, and now that they have the green light, you know, I think we saw this in Norman this week where players were able to go home for a week and then they come back and there are nine positive tests. This is the ultimate teaching moment for coaches because it's kind of that that scenario where they say, we got you to this point, but now it's on you. You have to, to stay uh, on the right side of things or, th- you know, this thing is hanging by a very thin thread, and if we get too many cases, then this thing shuts down, but... I think especially the, the situation in Norman is is a teaching moment that it can disappear very quickly, but it's now in the players' hands. Well, and this team has learned over the course of the summer because, I mean, I'm just counting the guys that I know of. Uh, some were announced, you know, initially when they reported, like, you know, it was the opening weekend that they reported Amen Akban Bamiga, who I think had tested negative went to Tulsa for the, the some of the protesting, came back, and when they did the second testing, uh, he tested positive. Uh, there were, I want to say, 14 initials. Uh, then I know they had a spike during um, the 4th of July, right after the 4th of July. By my count, there have been at least 27 positive tests. Now, that's just the ones I know about, and they don't – I don't get a report. I'm, I don't, I, you know, those are just ones I know for sure. And so my guess is they probably had north of 30, 35, maybe, maybe even more. I don't know. But those are the ones I know about. So, yeah. um, Oklahoma State's had their, you know, they, they've learned, they've learned their lesson. Malcolm Rodriguez, a guy who I think is immensely disciplined, somehow came up with it and served his quarantine in a camper on his family's driveway. <laughs> so his mom would come, his mom would come out and put the, the meals, you know, the tray you know, of, of food by his door. And then when nobody was around, he would come out and go in the garage and lift weights and then disinfect the weights and the garage and go back in to the tra- uh, the camper and, and serve out his, uh, 
is quarantine. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, so – the and, and that's the other thing. You mentioned it. Coaches are telling their players, it's up to you. If you want to play, do the right things, and we'll have a chance to play. If you don't, go 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 get filthy and COVID and go to the strip and jump into a moss pit and, and do everything, and, and we're not going to have a football season. So I think Oklahoma State's at a good point. Uh, I talked to John Walters, their play-by-play voice at Iowa State. I think they're at a good point. I think Oklahoma, you know, had a spike coming back from this, but I think they'll be fine. Uh, everything I hear about teams around the league in the Big 12, in fact, if you look at Oklahoma State, their biggest concern right now probably has to be their non-conference opponent, Tulsa, that has stopped working out because of a, a COVID spike. So um, right now it looks pretty good in the Big 12, but a week from now when everybody's got their students on campus and they've had a chance to get into trouble, let's see if they did or not. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this football team uh, in reference to, you know, that part of it not being in the equation uh, and the football aspect of this. And, and let's just start with the quarterback position because obviously Oklahoma State has a guy that is incredibly talented, dual threat quarterback that I think has a massive ceiling in terms of what kind of player he can be. Uh, we saw some of those, you know, freshman mistakes that everybody seems to make early in their career a season ago. What's the expectation for you? On, on how improved Spencer Sanders will be this year? My expectation is more in the, in the realm of, of eliminating mistakes because I've seen enough of Spencer to know, can he run the ball, make some plays? Absolutely. Can he throw the ball? He can spin it pretty good. Uh, now, if he can eliminate mistakes and do all the other things that he did last year, He's he's a terrific quarterback, and he's got the guys around him that can make him look good, and he knows that. Um, that's to me. To me, this is the biggest uh, question mark going into the season, as far as whether Oklahoma State can maximize the talent they've got, and that is Spencer's development and how much better he is. There's no doubt. Mike Gundy said it the other day that he he brought in Tim Rattay with the idea that. Now, remember, it's been a long time since Oklahoma State had a quarterback coach that didn't have to work hard during the week to get ready to call play. <laughs> right. That's been that's been the standard. The quarterback coach has been the co- uh, the coordinator and call plays, which takes a lot of time. Tim Rattay's time is devoted to the quarterbacks. Casey Dunn's the guy that's going to call plays. So I, I think that's going to go a long way, hopefully, towards speeding up uh, Spencer's development. Uh, I think they had a good off season, even though they were separated a lot of it. And a lot of their teaching sessions were done over the computer on zoom. Um, but everything I hear and everything, everything I, I hear from the coaches in practice is that Spencer's looked good. He's, he's minimized his mistakes. One of the things they focused on was not giving up the play so quickly and tucking the ball and running. They wanted Spencer or Tim Rattay wanted to teach Spencer how to hang in there, how to hang in there and, and uh, wait on the receiver and wait on the play to develop and make the throw. So um, we're going to find, I think we'll find out pretty quick. If you remember back last year, one of those games where Spencer had some miscues, they, they jumped out to a 20 to nothing lead and then Tulsa picked him uh, a couple of times and Tulsa took a 21-20 halftime lead. So I think Tulsa is going to be good enough to give us a, at least a a, um, 
a window into how much better Spencer Sanders can be this year. You mentioned Tim Rattay and, and Casey Dunn as well as, as a first-year OC. My my guess is the offense is going to look a lot like it has in the past, but anytime you have a change in OC, then you know maybe tendencies are going to be a little bit different. What do you anticipate Casey Dunn bringing that that will be noticeably different, if anything? More throwing to Chuba Hubbard and the running backs. Casey Dunn likes to have the running backs go through some of his drills, and uh, Chuba has has really become a fanatic about you know, catching drills and, and being involved in that. And when you think of Chuba and how dangerous he is in space, what better way to get a guy like that in space than throw him the ball versus handing it to him. So I, I think that's going to be the biggest, biggest change is the involvement of the running backs in the, in the passing game. How polished is he as a pass catcher? Pretty good. I mean, I've got some video. It's my my grandson's five years old, and he's a huge Chuba fan. In <laughs> fact, he got for Christmas. I'm not going to tell you which store in Stillwater did something you're not supposed to do. They created a Chuba jersey for me to give <laughs> to him awesome. for Christmas because that's that's that name, image, likeness thing. But Chuba knows about it. I told Chuba, I said, yeah. when you're done with college, I'm going to give you a percentage of that jersey cost which you're going to be surprised how little it is, but that will be your name image likeness from that purchase. So uh, I'm keeping track of that, but uh, Cash's favorite video that Pops has on his uh, computer is Chuba in a pass catching drill with Casey Dunn off the jugs machine. And what Casey has him do is start at the 20 yards away and then just keep walking in toward the jugs machine and he keeps feeding it, and you see how many balls you can catch and how close you can get, Chuba comes all the way in and catches a ball literally two feet from the jugs machine. And when he when he catches the last one, Casey goes, that's it. I'm not going to let you get any closer. I mean, he's literally on top of the machine, and you hear Chuba just scream, do that, yeah, you know, kind of thing. So <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. But, yeah, he, he's got excellent hands, and he also is very motivated to be involved in the passing game because when you can show that as a running back, uh, it makes those NFL people really happy and, and, and think a lot more of you when you're just as good a threat in the receiving in the passing game as you are you know, getting the handoff. Yeah, I think when you look at the top running backs in the NFL and the versatility now that you're seeing at that level versus what it used to be, I mean, that's a that's a massive sure. part of, of what you're seeing in the NFL with guys like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, even though they don't throw the ball to Zeke a ton, I mean, his ability to be a pass catcher for the Cowboys is, is you know, one of those big mismatches if you take advantage of it the right way. Yeah, and if you also prove you're willing, and, and Chuba's done this before. We've seen Chuba save some quarterbacks by sticking his nose in and blocking pass pass blocking so if you prove that you're a a tremendous runner from scrimmage you can be involved in the passing game and make make big plays there and you have the you know you have the toughness to stick your nose in a defensive end or linebacker to save your quarterback from getting you know knocked into the next century those all three of those things will get you a big paycheck in the nfl What's the rest of the backfield look like this year? I know that was an area of uh, of concern last season, and and maybe even at times criticism. Yeah, I, I, I am anxious to see Desmond Jackson. 
who's the junior college back uh, out of uh, Hutch that came in last year. He he was injured and, and sat. He has two years to play still. He had a redshirt year, so he took that last year. He is about a 220-pound guy, but when but I remember when he first got here, I asked Chuba, which of the backs, what do you think of the other backs? And he said, well, LD's really fast, and, and LD is, and he's, and he's put on some weight, a few pounds of muscle. So I think LD Brown's going to be quality behind Chuba. But he told, Chuba said, Desmond Jackson's the one that makes me work. He's the guy that makes me work harder. And that tells me that, you know, Chuba looks at him as a threat to take his job, or did. I don't think that could happen now. But uh, So I, I think Desmond Jackson is going to be interesting. Uh, Micah Cooper is a favorite of Mike Gundy's, but just because he works hard, he'll be on all the special teams and he'll get a chance to play. And he'll be a, he's a guy that's big enough to be a, uh, a short yardage, uh, red zone back. And then the guy that is kind of the, the newcomer that'll be interesting is Dominic Richardson, who was going to go to TCU and TCU took a couple of other backs and kind of cut him loose. How they did that without, any more fanfare than took place. I'm surprised. Uh, but, you know, Oklahoma State fell into getting Dominic Richardson from McGinnis, and he's he's pretty good. So I saw him walking the other day, and, and this may be lost on you and some others out there, but the Denver Broncos used to have a back that played at Syracuse, part of that Jim Brown, uh, Ernie, um, oh, was Ernie Nevers line of backs from Syracuse named Floyd Little, ended up in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, played for the Broncos. Bow-legged as you can get. Well, (laughs) Dominic Richardson's bow-legged. It's funny. But a lot of bow-legged guys make good running backs. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of the X factor. But I I think that is a position where I'd say depth-wise, they're in pretty good shape. What's Tylen Wallace looking like? Obviously, he came off the injury, and and it, that was super disappointing. I think a lot of people felt like he may take advantage of of that injury to rehab and and head to the next level. Um, excited to see what he does in another year. But is he is he back to his normal self? Back to a hundred percent? I think he is, but I know this. They've been putting him in a green jersey at practice, which means don't touch. And I think they're just doing <laughs> for that good as precaution. Yeah. yeah, for good reason. And it's the same reason Chuba hardly gets any reps. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, I think he's back all the way. Uh, the, the question mark with those guys is always going to be how long does it take them to get confidence? How long does it take them where they don't think about that knee anymore when they're playing? We'll find out. I mean, we'll find out, you know, as the season gets started, is Tylen still, you know, a little, you know, get, you know, gets you about the knee or is he got complete confidence and doesn't think about it? Uh, I, I know he's worn a brace, some in practice, and he's worn a sleeve some other days, uh, the neoprene sleeve. I think in games he'll wear a sleeve, not a brace. Um, but again, I, I don't think you ever find out about ACL guys, especially skilled players that have an ACL until they play. And you, it's pretty quick. You can figure out, ooh, that guy's favoring his knee. You can tell he's he's concerned. Or is he just cutting it loose? And we'll find out when, when the game starts. I think both Oklahoma schools kind of have this situation where they are just – 
loaded in the skill positions and it becomes a scenario where you're trying to figure out how to spread out the touches. And obviously Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace are going to be the two guys that get the majority of those touches. But who else do you think at this point are, are guys that Casey Dunn has to be aware of how to get them opportunities? You know, Braden Johnson is, uh, you know, really made some headway last year, late in the year. And he, in the bowl game had the, had the two touchdowns. Um, so Braden Johnson, obviously Dylan Stoner, obviously Landon Wolf. I think Langston Anderson, who's a four-star receiver that redshirted last year out of Colleyville Heritage um, in Texas, is going to have a breakout year. Uh, I think Brennan Presley, the freshman from Bixby, I think you'll see him on returns, and I think you'll see him some in the in the game. He's electric. I mean, there's a reason he was the player of the year in the state of Oklahoma last year. Uh, unbelievable, you know, talent. Um, so, and then I'm, I'm anxious to see how much um, the transfer, uh, I'm trying to think, D, what's D's last name? D Anderson, the transfer from uh, LSU. Uh, he's a big, tall, 6'5", kind of post up. He'll be great in goal line situations to run the fade at him. Um and then I think you're going to see uh, Jelani Woods. I mean, the tight end, the former quarterback at tight end. I mean, he's the NFL guys that love him because monster. he's yeah. Oh, he is a monster, and he's he's a, he's an athletic monster. So I think you've got to take advantage of him. I know this when you ask Casey Dunn about options and does he feel he's got enough, he just laughs. Yeah, <laughs> he just laughs like, yeah. If they want, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those deals where if they want to take something away, let's say yeah. they want to take Chuba in the running game away, and they put seven, eight in the box. Really, you're going to man up those receivers? It's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. Or if you want to take the passing game away and go with a light box, four or five guys in the box. Well, guess what? Chuba's Chuba can pick his way through a light box in a hurry. So. Yeah, I think there's – I think, you know, that Oklahoma State's got a lot going on offense, and as long as we get back to it, as long as Spencer has control over what he's doing and doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't have to make it – you know, there, there are plenty of times for Spencer to throw the ball out of bounds and live to play another down. It'll be fine. He needs to understand that. And that's – believe me, for a competitive guy like him, that's – I mean, I'm sure Tim Rattay has to tell him that all the time. Spencer, throw the ball away. It's okay. What was the role of the two offensive linemen that were asked to leave last week? Were those guys guys that you felt like were going to play? Uh, were they starters, or what? what's the situation there? Yeah, Bryce Bray would have started. He would have been the starting, probably starting right guard. And, uh, and then I think uh, Farrell would have been a backup at tackle. Um Bray had a lot of experience. That's that's a, a that's a bummer deal. I uh, hated to see it. It was silly, uh, but it was. I mean, yeah, I, I understand where Gundy was coming from on saying now now we're gonna have to go. Uh, fortunately, it was nothing against the law, and Farrell's already landed at North Texas, and I'm sure Bray will land at a Division One school, but. Um, the good thing is you've got Charlie Dickey as your offensive line coach. You had Josh Sills transfer from West Virginia. 
he was an all-conference second-team uh, lineman at West Virginia. He plugs in at left guard. You've got Tevin Jenkins there. And then the right side will probably be the young side. Hunter Anthony, who started several games last year, probably at right tackle. And uh, at right guard, either uh, Cole Birmingham, who was a big kid that from Katie that came in the same class as the running back from Katie, DeAndre Glass, that has kind of struggled. But uh, Birmingham is he's six eight, three hundred and ten pounds, and uh, that's a pretty good sized guard. And then at center, you've got Rice Schneider back, but Tyrese Williams, who got uh, some publicity for pulling a GMC truck around his neighborhood during the pandemic as a conditioning strength uh, exercise. He's having a whale of a summer and camp. I mean, Rob Glass and Charlie Dickey both, you know, they brag about this kid. He used to be the guy that was last in everything. Now he's the guy who's first in everything. So, um, so yeah, they've still got some options. And then uh, you're going to have to have a bunch of young guys um, come along in a hurry as backups because, you know, you're going to have some guys get banged up over the course of the year. It helps that backup guard Hunter Woodard plays both sides. It helps that uh, Hunter Anthony can play all four positions except center. You know, you can play both guards, both tackles. A little bit like what uh, Joe Wickline used to do, Cody, is that, uh, you know, that uh, they cross-train. Charlie Dickey cross-trains yeah. all these guys to play different positions, and that always helps. Is depth as big an issue on the offensive line as it has been the last several years, or is that something – I know it's something that takes time to, to develop, but is that something that you feel better about now than maybe in the previous seasons? I would have said with with uh, Bryce and Farrell here, I would have said it was not an issue at all. It was, yeah. a, in fact, it was a plus. Without them, it becomes a mild issue, not not okay. a major. But if if you were to have a rash of injuries, then you would. Uh, but but with those two guys before they left, you could have had two or three injuries and still put a good offensive line out there. Now, if you got two or three injuries you might be holding your breath a little bit. Well, let's talk about the defense a little bit. I kind of felt like going into last year, and especially at the beginning of the season, the OSU fan base was was about ready to pack the bags for Jim Knowles. Um, I thought for the most part last year, at least from my perspective, it seemed like that group maybe overachieved. Um, thoughts just in general about where the defense is, I guess, going into the year? Um. Uh... I was hoping we would talk about defense first. I think <laughs> No, I'm serious. Really? I think the def yeah, I think I am I am more excited about defense at Oklahoma State than I probably have been in twenty to thirty years. Holy cow. I mean I'm going back to Pat Jones and when he first became head coach and you had Leslie O'Neill, who oddly enough this year got voted into the College Football Hall of Fame. But when you had Leslie O'Neill and John Washington, you had Matt Munger at linebacker, you had Mark Moore at safety, Rod Brown was on that defense, Rodney Harding, I think, was on that defense, too, that ended up being a Canadian Football League Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I think I, I think the defense is going to just shock people. I think this is uh, – and it's not just – you know, a couple of times Oklahoma State's had defenses that – didn't stop anybody, 
for the most part, but they created a lot of turnovers, which in this day and age of football with the spread offenses, that can be as effective as, you know, as being a, a big time defense. But no, I, I think Oklahoma State's potentially got, potentially got a big time defense. I really do. And I know this is where I go out on a leg and, and, and people are going to be able to say, well, Robert, he just, he just, he just can't get over that orange, <laughs> orange colored glasses he's got. He just, you know, gee, poor guy. He's talking about Oklahoma State having a good defense. Mildred, come in here and listen to this podcast. This Robert Allen guy is crazy. You know, but I, I'm serious. I mean, you've got Malcolm Rodriguez, Amen Abonbamiga at linebacker, Devin Harper supposedly having a big time camp. And Calvin Bundage has been a defensive player of the day. There's been a Calvin Bundage sighting. I was actually going to ask, is, is he still around or what's the deal? Because I know last year it was, I mean, there was constantly the questions about whether he was ever going to return. And, and a lot of fans, I kind of felt like at times, used him as, as the reason why they weren't playing as well as they should. But, yeah, that's No, it. Jim Knowles told me, Jim Knowles told me he has been fully engaged. He has been making plays and that he's going to be a factor this year. Now, he's not going to start. I mean, Malcolm Rodriguez and, and Amen Bondomiga, both were all second-team All-Big 12. Both had over 100 tackles. You know, uh, Malcolm had game-winning plays like the pick six at Iowa State, and Bondomiga had a lot of big plays. So, you know, you're, you're fine there, but, but to have Calvin Bundage coming off the bench – especially maybe as an edge pass rusher. That's the other thing. Let's get back. Let's go back to the defensive line. Trace Ford, who played really well as a freshman, plays that hybrid Leo end where he can play back as a linebacker. He can be on the line, rush the passer, you know, do all kinds of things. He has gone from being 235 to, to close to 250 without losing a step. He looks like I mean he he looks serious, and um, and then you've got Cameron Murray back, Israel Antwine back, Sionia C inside, Samuele to Alamaka. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Uh, Brendan Evers, Amadou Fafana, Tyler Lacey's the starting defensive end on the other side. I was about to say the two uh, DNs with Trace uh, Trace Ford and Tyler Lacey. Both of those guys, I felt like every time I watched OSU last year, were like making flash plays. I I, I really liked yeah. just the the potential yeah. from both of those dudes. Brock Martin is healthy. He's as healthy as he's been since he showed up here, and he was pretty good initially before he hurt that shoulder. You know, so the defensive line is deep, and I think it's going to be pretty good. We just talked about the linebackers and the depth there, and then you get back in the secondary, and probably the biggest difference maker has been Christian Holmes, the Missouri grad transfer. He is – I mean, he's been great at corner. And you've got Rodarius Williams, and you've moved uh, oh, Jarek uh, Bernard Converse. He's, he's, he's got a hyphenated name now, too. Uh, to corner, and he's he's good. Uh, you've got Colby Harvell Peel, Trey Sterling, Tanner McAllister. Uh, they moved Thomas Harper back over to safety. He's been playing well there. Uh, oh, the kid from uh, John Marshall, uh, Taylor. Uh, there was a defensive player of the year in the state a couple of years back. Jason. Um, Jason. Yeah, I mean, 
this defense has got a lot of dudes. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I get excited. And i tell you why, Colby, because defense at Oklahoma State really hadn't been great for a long, long time. I mean, it's it's had its moments, like I said, mainly enforcing turnovers. But I think this could be a really, really good defense, one that, you know, that, that opposing offenses are like, oh, damn, these guys are – I don't know if we can score on these guys. I mean – if, if I know. To, again, if you had people, to pick one thing from the defense that maybe hinges on it being a really successful season or not as successful as you're anticipating, what would you say that one thing is? Is it a position group? Trey, is it one position? Is it? Like, it's one guy. Okay. I, 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 you know, I mean, we've seen everything. We've seen, we've seen the linebackers play good. We've can't. We've seen Kobe Harvell Peel and Trey Sterling. Um, now again, I, I think Christian Holmes at corner as a lockdown guy can be a difference maker, but I'm, I'm going to say if trace Ford stays healthy, I think trace Ford is, I, I think he's, he's a wrecker. I think he's a wrecking machine as big now and strong as he is. And as athletic as he is, he's going to be hard for people to account for. And if he stays healthy and Jim Knowles and, and Joe Bob Clements and, Greg Richmond and all those guys coaching on that side of the ball can can find all kinds of ways for him to impact because he can line up practically anywhere. It's it, 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 yeah, if he stays healthy, I'm pretty convinced that that people are gonna you know they're gonna say yeah Robert Robert Allen was right they're they're a lot <laughs> better defensively you know so but I get excited just because I love defense I mean that's. Not that I don't love offense. I understand the excitement. I mean, yeah, you know, Brandon Whedon taught me how to really love to watch offenses spin the scoreboard and quarterbacks to spin the football. But um, I still like to see defenses dominate, and it hadn't happened in Stillwater in a long, long time. Those are, uh, I, you know, I'm ready to watch that defense play now. You, uh, you, you certainly got me uh, a little excited to see what that group looks like this year. Well, and the other thing is, I think Jim Knowles, there's a learning curve. I mean, you go anywhere uh, in the Big 12 where defensive coaches come in, and there's a learning curve. Um, in fact, I don't know what Tom Herman was thinking, because I know they they had problems at Texas last year, but the problems weren't with their defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. Their problems were he didn't have any healthy bodies. I mean, they had like six guys limp off the field against OSU, and they didn't come back for weeks. Yeah, and they got rid of they got rid of Orlando. Well, his I problem was, was really somebody good. had to fall on the sword, and it wasn't going to be Tommy. No, and and <laughs> you know he, he's he's a guy that I think really had learned how to play defense in the Big Twelve. I think Iowa State's guy knows how to play defense in the Big Twelve. I think Alex Grinch is getting to the point where he knows how to play defense in the Big Twelve. But I think part of Jim Knowles. It took him a couple of years to say, okay, these cats here do it differently. I, I, okay, I got a feel now for what they're trying to do. I think he's got a feel, and I think he has real ball players. So uh, I know you're right. After his first year, OSU fans were like, God, Gundy can pick offensive coordinators, but gee, many Christmas. He's killing us on defense. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, you know, I think they're going to see now that uh, I think they'll like Jim Knowles, and I think they're really going to like 
I think they really like Trace Ford. He he's he's yeah, I a think real he's gonna be one dude. of the elite defensive players in the league. So stay healthy. He needs to stay healthy. For sure. Hey, before I let you run, uh how do you think your sitch is gonna do in Texas? I think he'll do really good. I mean, he certainly got a um pretty good recruit last weekend with the uh the quarterback from South Lake Carroll that was number one in the class in 2022. Uh, I hate it, but that may be his Mason Rudolph uh, type quarterback recruit for the Longhorns. Uh, I think he'll do really, really good. Uh, I think Sam Ellinger will like, you know, I, I know OSU, I never understood. OSU fans never had that great appreciation for, for Mike Yersich, but when you play for him, when you're a quarterback for him, uh, you love him. Uh, he's got a little bit of a salty demeanor that, that I, I, I appreciate. And I think probably Sam Ellinger will appreciate. Um, he's a, he's inventive. You know, he's got an imagination. So, I mean, I'm sure they're not going to reinvent the wheel down there, but he'll put a few plays in that, that are going to be just flat out fun to practice and fun to try and execute in the game. So, uh, I hate the fact that Oklahoma State's going to have to to go against it. I'll tell you a little story here, real quick. When Jim Knowles first got here, the first spring, you know, Yersich is a competitive guy, even in spring football. He he would he and Glenn Spencer would go at it, which is kind of terrible because <laughs> Glenn Spencer is the defensive coordinator at South Florida, and that was supposed to be Texas opener this year. South Florida at Texas, and oh, so nice. it was going to be Spencer against Yersich again. And and the funny thing is, last year, even though Yersich wasn't calling the plays, Spencer was defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic, and they opened up at Ohio State. So this was going to be the second year in a row <laughs> that Spencer and Yersich were on opposite sides week one. But because of you know COVID nineteen and all the stuff, they're not Texas is playing UTEP for their one non conference game. But um, the story I was going to tell was. Uh, Knowles' first spring here, you know, he comes out, and the first time they scrimmage, Yersich, I mean, he throws the book at Knowles. I mean, he's he's throwing quarterback throwback and, and you know, uh, oh, uh, what's the play? OSU has one about every game. Um, oh, the, where the uh, running back pitches it back to the quarterback. Flea um, yeah, flea flicker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Yersich is pulling all reverse plays. <laughs> He's pulling all this crap out Double against Double reverse Noles, pass to the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Who's still, yeah, who's still trying to learn the names of his defensive players, much less know much about them. And so the first scrimmage, I mean, you know, uh, Yersich is killing him. And at one point, Knowles looks over on the other side of the field and says, you know, he screams, hey, you know, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Frank, <laughs> that's the initials. Uh, what the you you know H? What the H are you doing? And and uh, and Yersich looks back over and goes, Coach, this this ain't the ACC. Welcome this is big, big boy football. Yeah. yeah, this is big boy football now. Okay, get your big boy pants on when we scrimmage. Okay. And I mean, Knowles, Knowles is wanting to come across the field and, and just start wailing. 
Really, that was his. I mean, Knowles that's is from awesome. Philly. He just wants to go kick his butt. <laughs> but he learned real quickly. I mean, and that's Yersich. Yersich is not. So when Texas plays Oklahoma State on Halloween, I guarantee you, McGundy, everybody will know it. Knowles will know it. That flea flicker Yersich is broken is gonna, out, yeah. Oh, Yersich will pull out anything and everything <laughs> to make them look bad because that's his demeanor. I love it. I mean, I, I hope I don't love it that night. That's funny. Uh, yeah. But, he, yeah, he's a com- ultra-competitive dude. Good stuff, man. Well, hey, I, it's good to hear your voice. Good to chat with you again. And uh, hopefully hopefully, nothing prevents us from uh, doing this again in a couple weeks. I feel good if we get to the start. I know a lot of people feel like, you know, that we're going to start and they're worried about the finish. I'm worried about the start. If we get to the start – I think we got a good chance to get to the finish. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, man. We, I, well, I say we, uh, I, I certainly want to see football. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I mean, we all do. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. All right, buddy. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Our next preview is the Baylor Bears, the Big 12's version of Cinderella in 2019. Baylor went 11-3 a season ago. Matt Rule moves on to the NFL. Enter Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator of the national champion LSU Tigers. He brings in Larry Fedora as his offensive coordinator. Baylor loses a lot of experience on the defensive side of the football, but return a veteran quarterback. Giving us our Baylor preview, he is the voice of Baylor football, John Morris. John, as football season gets closer and closer, the news last week, I think, excited everybody. I think there's still a lot of cautious optimism as well that we're going to you know, hit the start date and be able to roll through this thing. But what's the balance for you in terms of keeping yourself a, a little bit held back from just being all out geeked about the football season <laughs> starting? Yeah, Colby, it's good to be on with you. Good to visit with you. And, and that is the way I feel. I mean, I feel like right now, today, as we talk, we're playing but it could change uh, an hour from now. You know, it could change tomorrow. So I keep that in the back of my mind. I, I just think we have so many hurdles left to cross, you know, before we actually get on the field in games that it could happen, but it could just as easily not happen. So one of those hurdles, uh, don't you agree, is this week with students coming back to campuses. Uh, it's happening here at Baylor, probably happening up there in Oklahoma. But uh, I think that'll be a big hurdle when you get the regular student population back on campus. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's we. I think Oklahoma had nine positive tests after students were re- or, or players were released to go home for a week, and and came back. And then there are videos out of Stillwater today where all the bars are just packed with the student body coming back to town. So uh, those are are troubling. I think images when you start to consider what the football season may look like. Yeah, two words: personal responsibility. You know, these guys have got to know. And I say guys, I mean, that's football, but, but look at the other student athletes that are back here also, volleyball and soccer. But they, you know, when they're in the controlled environment on campus, uh, I think it's probably one of the safest places they could possibly be. But then they're not going to be there 24 hours a day. And when they leave campus, when they go back to their apartment, that's where that personal responsibility comes in. And they're just going to have to make good choices and choose the right places to be and not be. And hopefully it pays off and we have football this fall. 
No question about it. Well, let's let's uh, pretend that that's not an issue, and, and we'll talk about <laughs> Baylor football as if as if there are no other uh, aspects no, to like worry <laughs> about. But um, you know, it, it's funny because Baylor kind of, to me at least, maybe you guys expected it came out of nowhere last year uh, to be as as good as they were. Was that a surprise? Did they overachieve, or was that the expectation last season? You know, I thought we had a chance to be better than the year before. You know, remember uh, Matt Rules, our coach. He went from one win in the first season to seven wins in season two, including a bowl win over Vanderbilt in Houston. And so, you know, you thought in year three with all the guys uh, that were coming back, really good couple of recruiting classes under their belt, had a chance to be better than seven wins. But, you know, what does that mean? You know, the jump from one to seven is one thing to get from seven to eight to nine to ten to eleven. You know, I mean, that's a bigger jump. So I wasn't sure how much uh, it would be reflected in the uh, uh, record last year. But, man, they played well. Defense was really, really good all year. And, uh, you know, the 11-3 and record last year for Baylor, a Super Bowl trip, two of the three losses were to Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, no shame in that whatsoever. Oklahoma was really, really good. But, uh, you know, I, I, to answer your question, I would say I expected uh, the team to continue to improve, uh, continue an upward climb. But I wasn't sure it would be eleven wins. So I've got to I've got to admit something. As soon as I saw Matt Rule was taking the Carolina Panther job, in my mind at least, I immediately removed Baylor from contention in the Big Twelve. <laughs> and, and a lot of that is just a big credit to how amazing I think he was as a coach. I mean, every opportunity I had over the last couple seasons at Big Twelve Media Days to have a conversation with him, like I walked away with that feeling like that dude just knows what he's doing and he's got it figured yeah. out and he's just a just seemed like a genuinely good guy that got the most out of his football team so a lot of that is is in respect to Matt Rule but they hire arguably the nation's best offensive coordinator in Dave Aranda and so I, I think at that point I opened my mind up a little bit to the possibility that Dave Aranda might be able to put something together yeah and I think you're right uh, I think you're right on target I, I would say give credit to our athletic director Mac Rhodes who identified Matt Rule and got him here you know, when he wasn't a name that was even being mentioned, you know, with the Baylor opening would have been four years ago. Uh, and then Mac just went back to work and, uh, you know, set his sights on Dave Aranda. And, uh, you know, I have been around Dave some, not as much as if it was a normal spring and summer going into the fall, but I've been around him some. And he is just really, really impressive. I mean, I think his football IQ is just off the charts. And I think it was a great, great hire. So I'm really excited about this year, the first year under Dave Aranda. So he's a defensive guy, and that was really the the group that impressed me the most a year ago. But you're talking about some big names uh, that leave that defense. James Lynch, Bravion Roy. I, I thought Graylin Arnold was one of the most underrated players in the conference a year ago. Um, from a personnel standpoint, what is that group looking like going into this season? Yeah, you're exactly right, Colby. We lost uh, 9 of 11 starters defensively. And those guys you mentioned, and I'd throw Clay Johnston in there, who was drafted by the Rams also. So there are some significant losses for Baylor starting-wise uh, on that defensive side of the ball. But but the good news is there are a lot of guys who will now step in and start who have, uh, have played. Uh, maybe they haven't started. They weren't starters last year, but they have played. And I think they're very talented. So I, I think we're going to be okay defensively. Uh, that might be the big question mark for this team going in is how do you replace nine starters on the defensive side. But I think we're going to be uh, better than okay. I think we're going to be good there. 
you know, with Dave Aranda's background on the defensive side, and he's got uh, Ron Roberts here as the defensive coordinator. So I think we're going to be fine uh, there defensively. There's just, uh, you know, there's just too much knowledge in that defensive uh, uh, staff meeting room that uh, I think uh, it won't pay dividends for Baylor. Well, on the offensive side of things, they bring in Larry Fedora, a guy that's very familiar with this league, and, and uh, that should be fun. <laughs> Yeah, and coming back to Baylor, Larry was here a few years ago, and uh, it's fun to see him come, you know, circle around and be back here as the offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, he's got now the head coaching experience that he didn't have when he was here before. Of course, head coach at Southern Miss in North Carolina, a year in Austin as a, a, whatever the title was, uh, advisor or something last year. But really cool to have Larry back. Uh, I, I have kept up with him, you know, and, and followed his – track record since he was here before so I think uh, our offense is in really good hands with Larry Fedora and Charlie Brewer as well who's who's honestly one of my favorite players in the conference to watch yeah and Charlie you know I, I think that if you've got a veteran quarterback if you've got a quarterback that has been around the league that has you know seen you know seen a lot of things as your quarterback I think that's a real plus and and we've got that in Charlie Brewer he started since the uh, end of his freshman year so he's got a lot of experience and he's got a lot of weapons around him to work with also on the offensive side the question is just keeping charlie upright keeping him healthy uh he's had some issues the last couple of years there but uh that's incumbent on the offensive line really to keep him healthy and uh you know i just like having a senior quarterback like charlie Brown to build with. and having to hold off jacob zeno at least that's that was my impression <laughs> after the big 12 championship good lord that kid looked good Oh, my gosh. How about that? Come in in that setting, you know, on that stage <laughs> yeah. and do as well as he did. <laughs> it was amazing. But that's him. I mean, we kind of watched him all year on the scout team. And then as the, you know, as the third-team quarterback, he was behind Gary Bohannon, of course, behind Charlie Brewer. But everybody kept saying, wait till you see Zeno. Wait till you see him. And we saw him one game during the regular season, kind of a, a blowout win at Kansas. And he was very poised and did well in that game. Then you come in against Oklahoma, you know, in AT&T Stadium in the Big 12 championship game and do what he did. That That's really impressive. So, fun to have. Uh, I think you got to have depth at quarterback, and I think we're in good shape there. As far as the, the fantasy football players on this Baylor team, I mean, there's always a few of those guys that, you know, like a Denzel Mims, for instance, uh, that are going to put up the big numbers and, and make the wow plays. Who are those guys for Baylor this season? Yeah, I would say uh, start with Ty- uh, Tyquan Thornton. He's a big, tall, uh, lanky receiver. Had some big plays last last year, and uh, I think he'll have even more this year. So Tyquan's a name to keep in mind. Josh Fleeks is, is another really fast receiver, uh, arguably the fastest guy on this team, but, but you get an argument from a lot of guys on that. Uh, Treston Ebner and John Lovett in the backfield. Those guys are really good, and they're veteran guys also, and they can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. So those are those are some names offensively that I think uh, you'll hear and we'll call a lot uh, over the course of this Baylor season. So most of the projections I've seen have Baylor around the five spot in the conference. New head coach, you mentioned the 9 of 11 starters defensively that they're replacing. Is five about what you expect, or is, is that high or low? Yeah, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's fine. That's probably about right. You know, I would say picking right now, uh, we would be, uh, you know, to be projected middle of the pack in the Big 12, 
That's not bad. You know, it really isn't with, with the head coaching change. And I've always thought that, you know, there's sometimes is that adjustment season, adjustment year when you change coaches. And it just takes a while to get everybody on the same page. I, I feel like our coaches, and maybe it's just because I know them and have been around them, you know, more than other staffs, obviously, but I just think they're ready to go. I, I think that adjustment period has already passed. And even though we didn't have a spring practice here, you know, they, they know what they have to work with and the, the players know the coaches and know what to expect from them. So I think, uh, you know, a five uh, preseason prediction uh, is probably about right. But I am, Colby, I'm always optimistic and, and I think Baylor may exceed that this season. Hey, we need optimism in the world right now. <laughs> True. <laughs> in terms of, of broadcasting, what's the plan for you? Or is it going to look significantly different than your normal season or, or have you guys even crossed that bridge yet? No, we're starting to. You know, once we got the schedule last week and knew that the Big 12 is going to move forward and, and play this year, or the plans are to play, you know, then we've got to, you know, get going and get all our, our plans in place also. Uh, I don't – there's still more questions than answers in my mind. Uh, you know, I think our booth is a good-sized booth at McLean Stadium. I think we'll be fine there. Uh, I don't know about travel yet. Uh, I would be surprised if we travel with the team. You know, our travel may be separate than them, but I just hope we get to travel and, and go to the road venues this year. Uh, you know, there's another scenario out there that has us calling games, road games from uh, from home, from McLean Stadium. And we'd make that work if we had to, but boy, sure, there's nothing like being there, you know, and being on the site. So I hope that happens this year. We're still working through uh, a lot of that stuff. Well, I've got to say, in terms of McLean Stadium, especially, and I've only been there for a night game, but at night, that place is absolutely gorgeous. Well, we're proud of it. We really are. It's a good size for us, and it's a great location right on the Brazos River. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's turned into a real home field advantage for Baylor. Our fans are really good here, and they know their role, you know, in helping Baylor become a winner. And it sure was fun last season as Baylor was, uh, uh, you know, won 11 games total. And obviously had a good home record last year as well. So we love McLean Stadium. It's it's uh, just uh, one of the jewels, really. I think on the river in college football. Well, John, I'm I'm really hoping that we'll be able to touch base again in in a few weeks. And and football is rolling on, and we're talking about football, and and nothing is shut down. But I certainly appreciate your time today, Colby. It's great to visit with you. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, let's keep that as our goal to uh, have a. Have a football season, and let's talk uh, over the course of the season. Sounds good. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Our next preview is the Texas Longhorns. Texas 8-5 and in 2019 as Tom Herman goes into his fourth season in Austin. A senior quarterback leads the way for the Longhorns. Texas replaces both coordinators, Mike Yersich, offensive coordinator, Chris Ash, defensive coordinator, with our Texas Longhorn preview. He is the co-host of The Bottom Line on AM 1300 The Zone in Austin, Mike Hartage. Have you been as geeked out as me in terms of just watching all the sports that have been unleashed on us at one time? I find myself uh, in mid-season form with the remote control going from the NBA to Major League Baseball to the UFC and everything else that's being thrown out there. 100%. I mean, this this seems to be like the only time in our lives that uh, we can honestly sit there and say, you know what? This is the first time I could watch every single sport that I've ever wanted to watch and and not miss a beat with it at all. It's been outstanding. I love every part of it. But, you know, the good thing about it is the fact that you said that we have 
sports right now. And that's the most important thing. We do have sports. We've got things to look at. And we've continued to, uh, to flourish at this time of we don't know what else is going to happen in 2020. I keep joking with my friends that every day I wake up, I immediately look at the schedule of games that day, whether it's baseball or basketball or whatever, and I get a little bit of FOMO because I see that there's so much happening. I, I know there's no way I'm going to be able to get it all in. No doubt. No doubt. It's like today, well, yesterday was a perfect example. You got a chance to watch some golf. There was NASCAR that was on. There was uh, F1. There were so many things that were on early. But the one thing that we really wanted to see was basketball, and basketball actually had the day <laughs> off yesterday. So now they got the playoffs starting today, so we're excited about that. But, yeah, I'm with you. It was like, okay, I get to watch everything, and now it's like, okay, uh, the one sport that I really wanted to watch today, I'm not going to be able to watch. Yeah, and, and then last week, what was it, Tuesday, that the Big 12 ultimately gave the green light to moving forward along with the uh, ACC and SEC? Yeah, it was last Tuesday. I mean, obviously, uh, we were sitting there on pins and needles when the news came out about the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12, and we're all trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, is this going to be a domino effect? Well, we all know in the South, everybody loves football in the South and North. Is, I mean, everybody loves football in the North, but it's a little bit different than what it is down here in the South. And so you were waiting to hear from – the Big 12 commissioner and what's going to be next or are they going to play? Are they not going to play? What's going to happen with the season? Are they going to have a season? And then they finally stood tall and was like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. But I'm going to say this, and, and I, I, I was really hard on the Big 10. I was really hard on the Pac-12. Pac-12 is a little bit different, obviously, because California is having all kinds of trouble and your, your biggest school in the Pac-12 are actually in California. So the governor has kind of made some things different. The one thing about the Big Ten that kind of threw me for a loop was that they made the decision so early. Players were already in camp. Players were already working out. They were doing all the things that they needed to do, proper testing. And then they, they decided to shut that down out of the blue. That was the part that was a little discouraging for me. I mean, Let's be honest, Kobe. We know it may happen to every conference as it, as it is. Every conference may end up shutting it down. We know that. But there was no reason to have to shut it down this early, as we like to say. Yeah, I think there's just a, a difference in mindset, right? I mean, I think when you look at the Big Ten, they're, they're thinking more prevention versus, I think, in the South, it's, hey, it's working right now, so let's continue until it proves that this model can't work. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. But then, you know, you're also looking at it, too. You say, okay, students are going back to school now. You're going to see a different number. In Oklahoma, the Sooners said that they got a positive nine, uh, nine positive tests after they let people go home. Texas still hasn't had any with those situations. But now that students are going to be on campus, how disciplined – yeah, how disciplined are these football players going to be? And not only football, volleyball, uh, track, whatever else sport is going on, basketball players are on campus now. How disciplined are you going to be when all those co-eds are back on campus? That is the scariest part. 
I think Mike Gundy this morning actually said that 75% of his team is going to be taking mostly online classes. Is that what, What's Texas talking about as far as that aspect of it? Tom Herman spoke on Saturday after their first uh, season, I mean, the first fall scrimmage, and he said that 90% of his student athletes, of his players, are going to be taking classes online, which, again, that gives you a little bit more of an upper hand in that as far as trying to control what's going on. They're not going to be in classes with other people. They're going to be able to stay away from the general population, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, you got to take those precautionary steps if you want to continue to have a season. And Texas going with 90% online, I think that's a good thing. Well, let's talk football as if none of this other stuff is is going to be impactful to the season and we're actually going to watch this thing play out. And I've got to start right. with Sam Ellinger, who's about to start his, uh, what, like eighth season at Texas? <laughs> it sure seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, there's a bunch of guys in this conference, and you've covered the Big 12 for a long time. Most of it's on the basketball side, but even when Jordan Shipley was uh, a player here at the University of Texas, it seemed like Jordan Shipley was at the University of Texas for like 10 years, and it was like, oh, he's about to graduate this year. He was, was like, like a six-year guy, though, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, because he had a bunch of injuries yeah. early. But, but every time you thought about it, you're like, this is still there. Still here, right? Right. He was like Terry Ellis at, <laughs> at Kansas in <Yes>. basketball. <laughs> but yeah, so Sam Ellinger. I mean, obviously, all the accolades that he has, uh, he rightfully deserves. But the one thing that I continue to talk about is all the records that he's breaking, all the leadership that he's bringing. Still doesn't have a Big Twelve championship, and he doesn't have a, a playoff appearance. And that's something that I was hoping that Texas would be able to do this year because of all the experience that they're going to bring back. But you know as well as I do, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't, your team really can't go. And Sam Ellinger is the one that will definitely right this ship and get everybody in place. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm believing that Sam is poised for a big year. It's interesting because since, what, probably Colt McCoy, they've not had a guy that's been incredibly productive at that spot. And then Sam Ellinger's going to end up being a four-year starter. But you're right. If, if he doesn't at least get in that Big 12 title picture this year, is, is it kind of a, a failed four years for him? You know, it's funny that you said that because someone asked us that on our show and and – it was kind of a hard question to answer, but the, the, the blunt answer is absolutely. This will be a disappointment for him to come to the university of Texas, set all these records, but never have a big 12 championship. Now national championship. We know how hard that is to get to. We understand that, but to play for a conference championship and he did that once so far, if he's not back in that big 12, if Texas is not back in that big 12, title game to me I would consider it a disappointing year let's talk about the offensive coordinator they bring in Mike Yersich who was at Ohio State but in Oklahoma we're familiar with him from his days in Mike Gundy's offense thoughts on what the offense is going to look like is he going to change it drastically uh, is is the passing game going to be more spotlighted I guess under Mike Yersich how do you see the offense well 
you know as well as I do, when, when you watch the University of Texas, you, you pretty much predicted a lot of the things that they were going to do. Uh, and at some point, the offense got a little bit still, even with the playmakers like Devin Duber. I mean, you think about it. The last two years, the slot receiver for the University of Texas with Little Jordan Humphrey and Devin Duvernay, they had unbelievable numbers, over 100 uh, catches in the season. And you sit there and you say, well, wait a minute. That's, we should be able to stop that because that's the only person there that they're going to throw the ball to. Well, now you bring in Mike Yersich, and, and you know this from the Oklahoma State days. He utilizes every single person on your team and makes it tough for you to defend. We're also looking at the running game. How is he going to use the running backs? He's got a lot of talent in the backfield. Um, I'm excited for Yersich because we know what Herman likes to do. He likes to run his quarterback. He likes to make sure that he likes to make sure that uh, Sam Ellinger on the goal line. We knew he was going to get the ball all the time there. So you sit back and you try to figure out what is Yersich. I say Yersich is going to be someone that is going to do disguise schemes a little bit better than what we had last year. Herman's a great play caller. Herman's a great coach. I mean, obviously, we're trying to figure out what's going to be next. But bringing in Yersich gives Herman a little bit more time to coach all over the place instead of just focusing on the game plan on the offense. Is the running back position figured out? Because I know at one point last year it was like a third-string quarterback that was taking snaps there. Yeah, it was uh, Keontae Ingram is still going to be the starter as of right now. But don't forget, and the running back was uh, Roshan Johnson, who was the third-string quarterback, who went on to play outstanding football last year, especially for a kid who has never played anything other than quarterback his entire life. Um, but don't forget, too, we brought in uh, – Texas brought in the top running back in the nation last year, uh, B. John Robinson from Arizona. He is going to be a monster uh, in that backfield. So they've got a bunch of backs that are going to battle for playing time. Uh, we just found out that one of the backs in that room was Daniel Young, and he is going to step away from football. He's going to opt out this season. So – the backfield is going to be uh, one that you're going to want to pay attention to because there's so much competition in that backfield. But Bijan Robinson is the name that you want to pay attention to. He's a hot young freshman that is going to be exciting. And I don't know about you, Kobe, but every time I see these young kids that are coming in now, I'm like, what have you been eating all your life? Because you look like a grown man already. Nobody when I was 18 looked like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so they're 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 finding them and they're coming in ready to play and making an impact as well. I remember the guy that that a year ago was that guy, and it was Jordan Whittington, and he had the injuries and and wasn't able to maybe live up to that preseason hype a year ago. What's what's his situation? Well, he's he's battled he's battled back from his injuries. They moved him to the slot position. Actually, he and Jake. Smith are going to be switching on and off at the position uh, where Devin Duvernay was, where Jake Smith was backing up uh, Devin Duvernay last year. So that's where Jordan Woodington is doing. If some things happen, obviously he knows how to play that running back position, but they're, they're getting pretty stacked. He, just like you and everybody else, 
we're excited to see what Jordan Whittington can do. We've been waiting for it. He had a, a sports hernia. I guess that's what they wanted to call it. Uh, sports hernia from last year. We're excited to get that kid on the field. They've been, the practices have already been intense. They've already had some dust up, and, but they've also had a lot of guys making plays. So everyone's excited. Everyone's hopeful. But like everything else, you know, practice is practice. When they get to see another team, we'll see what happens. New defensive coordinator Chris Ash in his first season in that role. Um, is, is the defense going to be any better? I, I feel like that was a, a pretty big criticism of the team a year ago. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. This team is going to be better just from a defensive scheme standpoint. You know, Todd Orlando did a great job while he was here. But again, like anything else, these coaches get better when they're scouting you, right? So if I come up and I see that you're playing in a four-eye technique the entire time, three down linemen, that, that's not a good look. You need four linemen and you need some guys to go get to get after the quarterback. And putting Joseph Osai, who to me is, is poised to be a top NFL draft pick, if they get this season going and, he, and everybody gets to see him in a different light, He's going to be uh, uh, hell on wheels getting to the quarterback. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking for the different looks. Uh, The one position that is kind of nerve-wracking for the University of Texas right now is, I would say, the linebacker position. Not because they don't have guys. It's just the inexperience on some of these guys. And some of the other ones need to step up. Uh, and make play. There's going to be some guys coming from the secondary, DeMarvian uh, Overshawn, the Overshawn that's going to come down and probably be a linebacker. Uh, but they have a lot of talent. They recruited well on that back end with the defensive backs and the secondary. They recruited well, but each level has a playmaker. It's just a matter of understanding the new scheme with Chris Ash and making it more effective. Uh, as the season goes on. I remember back around the NFL draft, I saw a graphic that showed from like 2000 to 2010, the NFL players from Texas during that time period, and then from 2011 to 2020, the NFL players from that period, and the drop was pretty drastic. It, it, does this team have those dudes, or are they on their way to, to getting those dudes again? Because clearly, I mean, there's been a difference in what was what was happening year in, year out, during that first decade of, of this century than what we've seen in the last 10 years? I'll tell you what, assessment-wise, there are definitely some dudes on here that are going to make some, going to change the narrative at the University of Texas. I mean, you saw it from those times and where it is now, and they're starting to make that run. You know, even in the games that Texas lost over the years with Tom Herman, they've been in every single game. There, there hadn't been a game where, We've seen those blowouts the year before and before that, too, where games just got out of hand. Tom Herman has these guys playing hard. They're very consistent, and they have the the physical specimens that will have an opportunity to play in the league. We saw last year Devin DuVernay, Colin Johnson are in the league. They had a couple guys already uh, sign a couple free agents. But I think next year, this football, well, next draft, in the draft after that, we'll start seeing Texas's name being called a little bit more, and it will continue that way. Because he's recruited well. There's no doubt about his recruiting. But like anything else, and you know this as well as I do, 
if there's no development, what are you recruiting? Mike, certainly appreciate the time. Hopefully in about a month and a half, we're talking uh, Red River rivalry and, and we've had no shutdowns to that point. Hey, I'm with you and I appreciate you having me on. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. All right. Previewing the Kansas Jayhawks, Les Miles in his first season as the head coach in Lawrence leads Kansas to a 3-9 and nine record. KU returns one of the most explosive skill position players in the conference with Puka Williams. With our preview, he is the voice of Kansas football, Brian Haney. Brian, I'll just start with this. First year under Les Miles, your thoughts on on how that experiment went? You know, Colby, it was great to uh, to get to see Coach really put his blueprint in place, and you can see why he's been such a huge success everywhere he's been. Obviously, it's going to take longer at Kansas than, than it took anywhere else uh, you know, based on the situation he inherited. But he was also quick to point out that some of the uh, – some of the facilities and, and, and some of the advantages that Kansas offered him might have actually been favorable to where he was at when he first took the Oklahoma State job. Not comparing the two certainly side-by-side side right now, but going back in time a couple of decades and, and looking at the two situations, his point being he feels like he can eventually establish, if not similar success to what he had at Oklahoma State with three bowl games, at least getting Kansas back to the bowl eligibility type classification that Mark Mangino had the Jayhawks in the midst of you know, four times over in his tenure at KU, including back-to-back bowl seasons for the only time in program history and 20 wins combined in two seasons in 07 and 08. Yeah, obviously, that's the high watermark. We're not expecting that. But it's seeing the way Coach Miles conducts his business, seeing the type of staff he's surrounded himself with and the relentlessness with which he attacks the recruiting trail and his recruiting phone calls every night. I mean, it, it may say that he's 66 about to turn 67 on his birth certificate, but he is attacking <laughs> this job like he's got the vim and vigor of a 24-year-old. And so uh, we're thrilled to have him. We're, you know, optimistic and at the same time realistic on, on just what an undertaking this is going to be. But at the same time, you know, we're starting to see the fruits of those labors on the recruiting trail, certainly. And hopefully, even in an abbreviated season, with as of now 10 games, hopefully even even in a shortened season, we'll see some real progress on the field as well, and hopefully in the win column too. You know, I know it wasn't necessarily proven in the win column a year ago. Three and nine was the record, but I kind of felt like Kansas, at least in some of these games, had a fighting chance. And you look at some of the losses, I think they took West Virginia to the wire. They took Texas to the wire. And was it Iowa State late in the year? Yep. They, they took yep. to the fourth quarter. I mean, a, a few plays here and there, and we're talking about a team that is potentially bowl eligible. Um, I mean, a, a few <laughs> years ago, that would have been a complete joke. And we lost to Coastal Carolina yeah. to start the year. And, and then he comes back and, and boat races Boston College in Boston College you know, the very next week on national TV on a Friday night game. And so, you know, it really was one of those seasons of, wow, they were this close to possibly being 5-7, and seven, or like you said, maybe even 6-6. Six six. The Texas game was maybe, you know, as exciting as any, and we didn't win it. But when you think about what was going on around the program at the time, they had just let go of their offensive coordinator, Les Kenning, and had a week and a half to get set uh, with, with the bye week and everything, uh, with Brent Deerman taking over, who had been an offensive analyst, he gets promoted all the way to OC, and they go down there and and hang half a hundred on Texas and darn near win it. They lose on a field goal as time expires 
after going up, uh, you know, with 111 to play, and that would have been their first ever road win over Texas ever. And obviously they, they won a couple of years ago at home versus Texas with David Beatty. But to have done that amid midseason turmoil with the coordinator being fired, another one being promoted, and, and to have, you know, a, enough going at that point to nearly pull off an upset like that in Austin just goes to show you, I think, Colby, the level of competitiveness that, that a coach like Les Miles, his resume, his poise, his experience, he just instilled so much confidence and belief that we belong in the minds of these kids from day one to where when they lost to Coastal in the early stages of the season, it didn't you know, get their dauber down and wreck them mentally. They were able to bounce back. and They were able to you know, come up with a huge home win over Texas Tech. They were able to go up to Ames and darn near pull that one off. I think the only real regrets we have of the season were we kind of came out flat in the Dylan Sunflower showdown versus K-State when they had their first sellout in 10 years, and then obviously the Coastal game. But you're right, when you added up all, all the ifs and buts, they were awfully close to being eligible in its first season. And I don't think that you necessarily expect that this year because they lost their quarterback, they lost half of their defense, and, and some really valuable pieces up front on the offensive line. But the skill position talent led by Puka Williams at running back is absolutely there. And Andrew Parchment at receiver is an all-conference caliber guy. If they can figure out that all-important question at quarterback and, and the position that it took Kansas 10 years to replace Todd Reising, they can replace Carter Stanley in, in six months, then maybe they'll be competitive again this year too. But I think as, as we talk about camp being in, in full throttle mode right now and us being about two and a half weeks away from the season, that's still the question on every Jayhawk fan's mind. What's it going to look like under center? And then what will Brent Deerman, the offensive coordinator, Wonderkin, that everybody's so excited about, what will he be able to implement uh, when, when he's not truly yet able to put his own quarterback out there? I mean, Thomas McFitty, Miles Kendrick were guys that were recruited to the program before he took the reins as OC. Jalen Daniels is a true freshman that might sniff the field at some point. I don't know how early. But until he truly has his own guy, and that might be a year from now, you know, we, we may not be able to see the full brilliance of, of Coach Gearman, but what last season with a senior quarterback and a fifth-year guy in Carter Stanley was nothing short of remarkable, and it was certainly optimistic because of it. It kind of seems like for a decade, you mentioned it, that there's been two or maybe three quarterbacks that have been in a rotation throughout the season at Kansas. You just mentioned the names that are in the running for this position. Do you feel like they're leaning toward one guy in this group right now? You know, it's really hard to say because amidst the pandemic, we're not getting hardly any access at all and everything's even more buttoned up than it would normally be just because of, of the COVID times that we're living in. But uh, I, I do think they really like Jalen Daniels, the freshman that I mentioned, and how quickly the ball comes out of his hand. I just don't think it's realistic to throw him out there as a true freshman that had an abbreviated summer, no spring ball, none of that. So it's going to come down to Miles Kendrick or, or Thomas McVitie. And McVitie was neck and neck in the QB race in the preseason a year ago before Stanley won the job. He's a guy that Miles initially tried to recruit when he was at LSU before McVitie went to hit. And so while his first season was a bit of a disappointment, and maybe that's a little light uh, based on what Kansas fans hoped, it, it was a significant uh, you know, far cry from, from what it could have been. I, I still feel like he has you know, more of the measurables and the bigger upside than Kendrick, who 
you know, lacks some things in terms of height and, and, and all of that. But Kendricks is, is a guy that's uh, scrappy. He, he's somebody that can make something out of nothing. And the type of kid that he's been counted out his whole life based on his height and other things overlooked by virtually everybody else in the Power Five Conference except for Kansas. And that chip on his shoulder is the size of Mount Oriad. So he may use that to play his way all the way to QB1 status. But it's going to be one of those two guys at least start. Just file away that name, Jalen Daniels, because if injury were to arise, or maybe we get halfway into the season and he's had you know, enough seasoning at that point, they might like to, to, to use his handful of games that you're still allowed to get out there before burning the red shirt. Do we know for sure that Puka Williams can't throw the football? <laughs> what a weapon he would be. He can throw the football, actually. And, and he, for a little guy, <laughs> has the largest hands you've ever seen. If he shakes your hand, you think you were shaking Shaquille O'Neal's hands or something. So uh, that's why he's so good and doesn't fumble the football. But we have seen him on, on some halfback passes. It's, it's not a, a quit-your-day-job type situation <laughs> uh, in terms of him truly switching. But they want to get him the ball in space more on the edge. And, and that would not put it past Brent Deerman at some point to have number one cockback fire. He is so, so good. And and just I remember a couple years ago when they were in Norman watching him just over and over and over gash that defense, which in fairness, a lot of people did that season. But uh, wow, he was pretty incredible, especially to see that in person. Yeah, no doubt. He has been as exciting of a playmaker as we've had maybe since Gale Sayers. Uh, I mean, there, there's some guys obviously in between that 40-year gap or whatever it is almost 50 years, quite frankly. Uh, we talk about Tuxedo Tony Sands, and even Jake Sharp on the Orange Bowl team was electric, very exciting and versatile. But June Henley comes to mind. But in terms of a guy that, that truly has game-breaking ability that not only is special on college football Saturdays, but you know will translate to NFL Sundays, he's about the best we've had since the Kansas Conference. And that's certainly saying something when you consider some of the, the Kansas backs. I mean, People forget it's real easy to kind of thumb your nose at KU football based on the what have you done for me lately sports culture that we live in. I get it. You know, they've not done well since 2008. But when you go back and you look at some of the names that have come through here, like Sayers, John Hadle, John Riggins, Nolan Cromwell, I mean, there's some pretty iconic names. Certainly, Puka Williams has a chance, uh, even if this is his last season, should he come out after his junior year. He has a chance to, to go down with the all-time greats. And, uh, it, it's going to be tough, though. He, he was definitely tougher last year as a marked man with everybody stacking the box against him. But he's got an OC that's going to be helping on getting him the ball creatively in space where he can make guys miss. So I can't wait to line up the college games this fall. I just hope we get the full 10. and If we're lucky, maybe an 11. I thought Joe Deneen had been there for about 11 years, and when I was looking through the one of the preview magazines, I saw the name Deneen again at linebacker, and I thought, hasn't this guy graduated by now? That actually is still Joe. We, we pulled a, a little bit of a fast one there. We dropped the O and the E and replaced it with an A and a Y and got five more years. So he will be up to 11 <laughs> years by the time it's done. <laughs> now, you know, Joe was here for, for the rare six based off the medical hardships and, and just they called him the mayor, not because he'd been around so long, but because he was so beloved and he's from Lawrence, Kansas, a star on the Lawrence Free State team. And he had a chance to play with Jay, his little brother. And he's got another little brother, Jackson, the K-State, that's, uh, that KU wanted as well. But, uh, you know, Jay has a ways to go before he's going to you know, tr- 
truly be all that, that Joe was. And I don't know if anybody can measure up to that on his current roster because Joe was ultimately an All-American. But, uh, but yeah, it's a wonderful football family that uh, has been very kind to both KU and K-State over the last decade. And, and Joe, who had a cup of coffee with the Denver Broncos, is now in the coaching ranks. So he, he's one of those guys who'll be a success whatever he does in life. Very nice. I've got to ask you, as the play-by-play guy, do you guys have an idea uh, as far as what the plan is for you calling games, and, and have you kind of set that in motion yet? You know, that's uh, all TBD. We, we've got, obviously, a you know, plan in place for um, you know, the way the network's going to be run and, and uh, the spots that we'll sell and, and the pregame show and all that, but in terms of the actual logistics from the booth, a week ago, we didn't know if we were even playing. So <laughs> right. you know, to, to call it like it is, it's, it's still a little fresh there. But I have been told that some of the luxuries that we've had in the past, the additional spotters or you know additional help in the press box is not going to be allowed. It's going to be a, a bare-bones crew. And, and for now, we, we assume we're traveling. But I, I know that there will be you know some crews at different conferences that elect to stay at home and do it off of my monitor. It's my hope that that doesn't end up becoming a reality for any of the Big 12 guys because you, you lose a lot when you're not traveling with them and, and, and garnering some of those great stories behind the scenes stuff. And even though there's not going to be as much game day atmosphere with the limited number of fans in the stand, like being there, nothing replaces that. And so, no doubt. You know, it's my expectation will be there. We'll just probably have to, quite frankly, travel separately, I would imagine. Not on the typical team charters like you normally would. So, and, you know, that, that's, that's no big deal. You know, most fans are like, Jesus, don't complain about a, a private flight. It's a big deal. I'm, I'm just saying that's one of many little tweaks that will probably have to be made in the midst of, of pandemic times. Well, it's good catching up with you. I'm glad that we're able to talk some football, and, and hopefully this thing does, in fact, kick off, and we don't have anything preventing us from finishing a season. But uh, in either case, once again, good to hear your voice, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Always a pleasure, Colby. Call any time, and then hopefully we got hoops uh, right around the corner as well. No doubt. As you know, we, we were number one when March the 12th happened and everything came to a screeching halt in basketball. So we're chomping at the bit to get back out there in that sport as well. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to touch base when basketball season rolls around as well. Stay safe, my friend. You got it, buddy. Thanks a lot. The Kansas State Wildcats, 8-5 and five in 2019, a team that seemingly is overlooked every single season. Chris Kleiman did a remarkable job in year number one as the head coach, giving us a Kansas State preview with GoPowerCat.com, Tim Fitzgerald. What's going on, my friend? I'm just hanging in there. I'm just hunkered down at home. <laughs> that's that's the safest place to be, um, especially, I think, over the weekend as we start seeing these images of, of all of the gatherings on college campuses um, it's kind of been a roller coaster, I feel like, maybe in the last week of confidence that the season is happening, and then all of a sudden some screeching, cautious optimism. Well, it, you know, it's the same in every college town, it looks like. It literally, people complain. I saw Oklahoma State photos, I've seen Auburn photos, I've seen, of course, K State photos. Um, there was another Southeastern Conference school. It's like it looks the same everywhere. For sure. And, you know, I want to be judgmental, but I also probably accept the fact I would have done the same thing if I was their age and getting back to school after a bizarre spring and summer. I, I literally had this conversation this morning. If I were college-aged, I would be right there in the middle of it all. There's no question in my mind. I, you know, I, 
I want to be mad at him, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to spread in our community uh, because of this. You know, that's the the hole in their thinking, which I would accept. I would have had the same one, same way. You know, I'm young. I can take this. It's not going to be a big deal, but unfortunately, it won't stay within their demographic. And it didn't last time. Uh, we had a surge in Manhattan, Kansas, and it probably won't this time. So I, I saw this morning a couple of coaches in the Big 12 make statements along the lines of like 75 to 85% of their team is going to be taking online classes. Is Has there been any discussion about that in Manhattan and, and what's kind of the way that they're approaching all of this? I don't have a number like that, but uh, we just were told today on a press conference that the players have the option to opt for online classes only. Um, which I think is good because uh, they're at zero cases right now and they're looking at all the the reindeer games their fellow students are playing in the bars and they're staying away. Um, and they're not real – the guys we've talked to, they don't seem real excited to go to campus with a bunch of people that probably just uh, bathed in COVID-19 and headed off to school. With Chris Kleiman in control, it's his, it's going into his second year on campus. Do you think that makes it easier or maybe tougher to kind of get through this because he hasn't been there as long and hasn't really established uh, for a long period of time the way that he wants to do things? So maybe that, I don't know, maybe that makes him more flexible than if he had been doing the same routine for 10 consecutive years for Kansas State? Well, to be blunt, I'm glad he was in charge instead of Bill Snyder who, you know, was really rutted in his ways. He was, you know, this is what he, how he did things. And you couldn't do that anymore uh, in this current environment. Uh, but I think the players are really bought in because really what Chris Klein is asking of them isn't much different from Bill Snyder. He just kind of goes about it in a different way. Um, and so the players really did buy in last year. I think that's a big reason why you saw them, you know, win eight games, which is a really nice first season for a head coach. So I, I think uh, the players are are still bought in, but anytime uh, you're going into a season with a new offensive line and you get spring football canceled, you probably should be a little bit concerned. You might have an issue there. So they're really trying to make up time and get guys ready to play. Um, and offensive line was a huge question when they thought they were going to have spring football now going without it at all, it, it really is a major question. In terms of that offense, uh, let's let's start with the quarterback. Um, I show Skyler Thompson listed as the projected starter, but it kind of also seems like he's been there about 18 years. So uh, is, <laughs> is that the situation uh, to start this season at least? Yeah, you know, anytime you have a senior quarterback, I think it's advantageous. You had a senior quarterback coming off a junior year in which they won eight games. Um, maybe at times he wasn't as good as he needed to be, but, you know, he also helped beat Oklahoma and uh, win some other big games. So uh, there's something there with Skyler. The players believe in him. He's got some bad habits he needs to clean up. And if he does, I think people are going to see a really efficient, smart quarterback out there. Um, I, I'm just a little befuddled that, you know, it, typically when you have a senior quarterback coming back from an eight-win team, people feel, feel pretty good about you, but you know, K-State's back to being picked towards the bottom of the conference. He's one of those guys, I, I feel like, when you see him play well, his high end is is nearly as good as anybody in the conference. You're exactly right. When he's good, he's really good. Uh, unfortunately, he gets a little skittish in the face of pressure. 
has some bad habits of flushing to the right, often escaping his pocket right around the defensive end, exposing himself, not keeping his head up to throw the ball downfield. Uh, but on the other hand, when he's good, when he keeps that head up and keeps moving and kind of feels the defense instead of just running from it, uh, he makes great decisions at those times. And he just really needs to settle in and, and trust everyone around him that they're going to take care of him. You mentioned the offensive line being a question mark. It, maybe maybe we take it for granted, but I, I almost feel like Kansas State, every year you can kind of depend on them having a really good offensive line. Is this the first time that that's been an issue for a while? Yeah, it has. Um, you know, it, we talk about transitioning from programs. Maybe the offensive line was the biggest area of transition. Last year they had a bunch of seniors who were really good in Bill Snyder's system. They're being asked to do different things in this system, a lot more, even more movement than what Coach Snyder had, which is remarkable when you stop and think about it, uh, but a lot of cut blocking and things like that that they weren't doing any of. And I think last year's group, even though they were really experienced and uh, got a lot of accolades, really struggled at times. I mean, they had some really pretty bad days at the office. So I think now with the younger group, they're kind of molding them in the vision of what they want for uh, an offensive line in this Courtney Messingham offense, which is kind of a fun offense to watch when they really get going, but they weren't always capable of doing some of the things they wanted to. As far as the fantasy football players on the offense, uh, do they have any like game-changing type ability there? Well, the one that I'm really intrigued about is Joshua Youngblood, who was a game-changer in the return game. He was an All-American. Uh, but, you know, receiving-wise, he was nominally used, and how are they going to use him better with a kid that's so explosive. They've got some pretty good receivers out there. Malik Knowles being the headliner of the group. He kind of fought through some injuries last year. But they've got some guys that could be really dynamic. Running backs, they're, they're kind of starting over again. You know, they inherited no scholarship running back when they arrived. There was no there was no scholarship running backs on the roster. Uh, Harry Trotter, uh, walk-on, quickly earned a scholarship, and he might be the starter against Arkansas State on September 12th. But they got some really good young ones that played a little bit last year and preserved their red shirts. And I think as the season goes on, we'll see those guys emerge. And uh, they're a pretty dynamic combination of guys. Thoughts on Joe Klanderman in his first year as the D.C.? Joe's an intensely likable guy. I mean, he's just uh, – he's excited about this. He's embraced this. Um, the players said, you know – Joe looks like you're, you're kind of a former athlete accountant. Scotty Hazelton, his predecessor, looked like a, a guy that wrestled bears for a living. <laughs> um, and so that kind of fits your mold of a defensive coordinator maybe a little bit better. But the players say that Klanderman will be more aggressive with this defense, which you know is, is kind of fun to think about. They really hit all the right notes in terms of defense last year as best they could because uh, they had had defensive problems, and they really did correct a lot of those problems with different schemes and kind of trusting players to go make plays more. Uh, I'll say this. If you've got Wyatt Hubert having a big season as a rush defensive end, it's going to make the coordinator look a lot better, and they're really going to lean on him quite a bit. And they've got two six-year senior linebackers, which is a really unique circumstance to have two guys from the same high school in Georgia that uh, – came in together, have both had year-ending injuries on top of red shirts. They're back to their sixth year. So Elijah Sullivan and Justin Hughes could be a really, really underrated combination of linebackers. 
in terms of the preseason predictions, is Kansas State about where they should be, or like we always anticipate, are they being looked over a little bit? Kind of the story of Kansas State to be predicted lower than what they end up. Um, you know, I kind of see a, a pack of teams in there. I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and to a lesser degree, Texas are the top tier, and Kansas with Texas Tech above them are the bottom tier. That leaves you five schools in the middle, and I think they're all somewhat comparable. You know, maybe this team's better at that or this team's better at that, but uh, uh, I think it's going to be a real real fight. Maybe you put Texas into that middle group uh, of six because I'm still not completely sold on on Texas. So it's going to be a, a really fun year because we play a non-conference game and then it's game on. You know, it's a race to the finish line and hopefully everyone gets their seasons completed and stay healthy along the way. Tim, certainly appreciate the time uh, for the sake of all of us. Hopefully here in a few weeks, we're catching up again to actually talk about what we've witnessed on the football field versus <laughs> uh, just the fingers crossed, hoping everything happens. Uh, amen, Colby. I appreciate it very much. The TCU Horn Frogs, 5-7 and seven in 2019. Gary Patterson entering year number 20 in Fort Worth. With our TCU preview, he is the voice of the Horn Frogs, Brian Estridge. Brian, as far as TCU going into this football season, what are the main storylines with this team? Well, I think obviously, Kobe, the number one thing is the quarterback. Max Duggan comes back, obviously, for his sophomore year. And, you know, how has he grown? How has he matured? You know, how, how much has this offense matured around him? In addition to Max on offense, you've added Jerry Kill, the former head coach at Minnesota, uh, with a storied career, you know, at Pittsburgh State and at Northern Illinois and Ireland. Northern Illinois. He's been in so many places. And he, you know, he's a guy that brings a maturity to this offense and, and, and to that side of the ball as well. What do his fingerprints look like on that offense? I think that's going to be important and that's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, this defensive Gary Patterson, I mean, he's got a couple of spots he's got to replace along the defensive front, but for the most part, uh, you know, his speed and leadership returns to the back end. And I think that's going to be a plus for it. So you throw all that in the mix. And then, Colby, you add in the uh, the uncertainty of the times and, and everything else that these players are having to go through, and I think it's going to make for an interesting year. It seemed to me that quarterback was, a, from a consistency standpoint, a big problem last year. I think with Duggan especially, there were times that you could see the ceiling, and certainly there's a bright future ahead. But being able to put that out there on a consistent basis kind of seemed like it prevented them from really taking off offensively. Yeah, there were a lot of people who were critical of Max Duggan. I wasn't one of those. I, I knew what he had around him and what he was working with. And I, I think Max played his tail off. I really do. And I haven't seen his ceiling. I'll be honest. I, I, I don't know what that ceiling is. I, I think there's a ton of potential there. Uh, I think he's uh, I think he's got a chance to be an elite quarterback. And, and I think in time, that will that will be proven out. I, I, I know what he was going through as far as struggles along the offensive front. I know what he was going through as far as struggles in the run game were concerned. Uh, and, uh, you know, he had some uh, – uh, what's the proper way to put it? He had some uh, – he, he had some big personalities that he had to deal with at wide receiver. <laughs> uh, and so all of that uh, being said, I thought for a freshman to step in and play as well as he did at times was pretty impressive, and I think that will only get better. Now, remind me about the offensive line a year ago. Was it replacing four of five starters or four of your top yes, six or right. something and, along those lines? Yeah, and you, and you lose a couple of guys this year as well uh, to the NFL. And so I, I think that's going to be uh, a, a key for this group. You know, I, I, I think they're going to be athletic. I think they're going to be one of the more athletic offensive lines that PCs had. They may not be the most experienced, 
They may not be the biggest that TCU has had, but I think they've got a chance to be fast. And if this team plays with the tempo, which I think it wants to do, I think that'll be beneficial for them. I think they'll be able to reach, and I, and I think they have good footwork and things of that nature. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, experience is important along the offensive line with just the different looks that you see in the Big 12, and I think that that, that may be a big factor for this offense as it goes along. Is there another Jalen Rager-type guy on this well, offense? Uh, in some regards, you hope so. To some, you don't. I mean, I, I think that there are some really good players uh, at, uh, at wide receiver for this group. Uh, but I think it's also got a chance to be a better group than last year's, uh, meaning I, I think they, they'll play together better. I think they'll share the catches better. I think, they'll, you know, I think they won't be concerned about numbers as much. I think this has got a chance to be a group that says, you know what, we're all in this as one, and uh, everybody's going to get their share. And I think you've got guys with different skill sets, too. I think you've got guys in the slot who could be speedy and shifty and, and make that uh, those yards after catch. I think you've got big guys on the edge that can go up and get uh, the deep ball. So I think that's a good combo and a good mix for this group. I really liked the one-two punch at the running back position a year ago. What is that position looking like this season? I, I think maybe even better. I mean, I think you got the one-two-three punch this year. Uh, and I think Kevin Barlow, DeMarc Way Foster, obviously be guys that lead this group. And, you know, I'm excited about Barlow. I just think that he's got a chance to be a special player when it's all said and done here. And, again, I think you got guys who won't be no- worried about – number of touches and yards, things of that nature. I think it's going to be more worried about first downs and touchdowns and Ws, and I think that's what this team has to get back to. With uh, with Doug Meacham coming back, do do Meacham and Cumbie, are they able to, to maybe recapture some of that offensive magic they had several years ago? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be up to Doug Meacham to have that kind of influence. I think he's just going to be a receiver's coach. I think this is, this is Sonny Cumbie's offense, and that's the way it should be with Jerry Kills. Uh, guidance and assistance, and I, and I think that's I think that's what this team needs, and, and I think that's what this group needs. Uh, J- I think Jerry Kill coming in, you know, the one thing about Sonny that I love is Sonny has always been a guy that that is inquisitive, he's curious, he likes to learn from uh, older guys. He's going to be a head coach one day. Why not take all the knowledge that Jerry Kill gives you and put it into your repertoire now? And I think that's what Sonny Cumbie's going to do. You mentioned it at the beginning of this. TCU is always known for Gary Patterson's defense, so. Expectations for that unit going into this year? Well, I think they're I think they're awfully high, and they should be. Uh, you know, Garrett Wallow returns, Trayvon Merrick returns. Uh, you got uh, Darius Washington who came on strong on the defensive backfield. I think the back end of this defense is going to be really, really good. And Sean Mathis, the defensive end, has got a chance to be another one of those Russians that we've seen over the years to be typical of a Gary Patterson defense. And so, I think all those things come into play. And I think that uh, I, you know, I think that this has a chance to be a as good of a group as we've seen, especially from the speed nature, can they withhold the pounding up front along the defensive front? I think that's going to be the question where they lost a couple of guys. I think in terms of preseason expectations, most of the the preseason polls and magazines and all that stuff have TCU anywhere from like five, six to seven. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment going into the season? And and if not, where do you where would you see them? I think that's an assessment that Gary Patterson likes. I don't think he likes being at the top of the pack. <laughs> I think he likes having being able to coach with a chip on his shoulder and having a point to prove. And I, and I think being in that position that he's in right now, I think that's exactly where he wants to be. And, and, and I think he'll take advantage of that. Are you guys at all worried that Gary Patterson may leave football and become a full-time musician? <laughs> uh, after the first song, I was. After the second one, I'm not sure. Uh, no, yeah, I, I think he uh, obviously it was something that he had uh, on his mind, and as he said, it's been on his bucket list for a while. I'm glad he was able to do that to kind of take a step back and 
Uh, and boy, I just worked into the title, didn't it? Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was able to, to, uh, to get some stuff done. And so I, I think that's good for him, and I think that's good for TCU football. Brian, great stuff. I appreciate your time this afternoon. Certainly wish you guys the best and, and stay safe throughout this uh, wild journey that should be the college football season. All right. Charge on, man. Thank you. The Texas Tech Red Raiders, 4-8 in 2019. Head coach Matt Wells goes into year number two in Lubbock. The return of Alan Bowman should go a long way in helping Texas Tech rebound with a preview of the Red Raiders. He is the publisher of Red Raider Sports, co-host of Tech Talk on Double T 97.3, and sideline reporter for Texas Tech football, Chris Level. Like a, a real known quantity to a lot of the fan base when he came in here. And I think, you know, you, it's not like you're, you're sitting in, in Lubbock or in Big 12 country in general and, and watching a ton of Utah State football or you've got a ton of background there. But obviously, he's got a ton of ties with you know the state of Oklahoma, and, and, and they recruit uh, they recruited Texas heavily, and obviously his quarterback from last year was, was picked in the first round by the Packers. So I mean, there, there were some things and some double digit win seasons there in, uh, at Utah State. But yeah, I think he just kind of came in and tried to. And look, this wasn't it wasn't an ideal situation that he comes into. You're replacing a. Uh, a fan favorite that just didn't quite get it done, if that makes sense, with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury. And then the, the whole awkward part about, you know, Cliff actually, you know, gets let go from this job and he ends up the upgrade uh, <laughs> to, to an NFL head coaching job. and Failing starting up, to right? Do pretty, exactly, starting yeah. to do pretty well. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think I think getting to know Matt, uh, he, it's clear what, what they want. It's clear kind of how they want to run a program. And it's just a matter of getting players and, and, and getting some momentum and, probably the most important thing keeping your quarterback healthy which they couldn't do last year yeah with all due respect to jet duffy i mean he just doesn't present the same threat through the air that alan bowman does so with that said uh what's what's the status for alan bowman how's he looking you know alan is he's tired of hearing about him being injury prone which is understandable and, and it's it's fair to to suggest that he is when you when you miss the last two years or the or the uh, the bulk of the last two seasons because of an injury it's just part of uh, the territory that comes with that. But you know, last year, you know, Jet would have probably been third string because that that was the other issue is that you had a you know one of your one of your big time signees uh, gets hurt in August, breaks his foot, non contact injury, and so he's out. And most people just didn't even re- realize it or didn't even worry about it because it's okay. We got we got Allen, we got Duffy, we're going to be okay. And then they had a grad transfer from Rice. But, you know, the grad transfer from Rice was not very good. Maverick MacGyver is the guy that I'm talking about that went down. And then it was just, it was just Allen and Jed at some point. And then it, then it turned out to be just Jed, basically. And he did the best he could. But this is Allen's job right now. It's his to lose. Uh, they've got Maverick back. Uh, and then they brought in a, a, you know, a transfer from Utah State, Henry Columbia, that was maybe in line to start there this year. And then they've got another signing in Donovan Smith uh, right here in, in, in West Texas. So they're much more equipped if an injury does occur. But unless you have a, a really good starting quarterback and keep that guy healthy, it's hard to find any sort of traction or momentum in this league. Four and eight a year ago, and, and obviously the quarterback position had, had something to do with that. But in terms of just having the right personnel to do what Matt Wells wants to do, how, how much of that maybe equates to the, the overall four and eight record well and, and it's it's no I, I do the sideline reporting for for the broadcast and uh you know one of my duties was uh do, do the post-game interview right with the head coach and those are you know th- those are sometimes really fun and sometimes just <laughs> right. not fun at all 
And and so I would, uh, I, you know, several of those uh, losses were by one score or less. I think they lost five games by one score or less last year. They just couldn't figure out a way to win a, a close game. And I'm not saying it's like you're one play away from being eight and four versus four and eight, but I mean it, it was really just right there on the on the fringe of being pretty good and going to a bowl game versus just. Uh, you know, a losing record and just feeling miserable, and that's kind of where where it fell. And doing those interviews after those games was just that, that was tough because it was kind of the same thing. And it's like you you run out of like stuff to ask and like try to you know because I mean it's kind of the same. Couldn't make this play, you know, gave up this drive late in the game, but that, that they they were close. Uh, but you know he. They upgraded in the secondary to answer your question, which was sorely needed. Um, keeping your quarterback healthy is going to be, you know, uh, imperative. And that goes with everybody, but especially Texas Tech, just because that's kind of been the theme in the last probably three to four seasons here is you just can't keep, you know, keep that position healthy and, and, and starting 11 or 12 games. You know, when Mike was here, they went, I think, like seven or eight years and never had a quarterback miss a start. Now you're in a stretch where you just got guys, you know, you're losing guys left and right to season-ending injuries, um, you know. But so, so defensively, they, they they feel like they short up the secondary. I just worry about offensive tackle for them, and I worry about up front on defense. Do they have enough pressure players uh, up front to to do much damage? And then you obviously try to replace Jordan Brooks, the first-round draft pick uh, out of uh, out of Houston that went to. Um, Seattle in the first round that was a great linebacker here and you try to replace him which won't be easy to do yeah incredibly underrated and nobody really looks at Texas Tech and thinks defense but all of a sudden there's a first round linebacker coming out of Lubbock that that defensive unit overall I think has has been taken for granted maybe for a long time and then a couple years ago I, I think they they surprised some people do you feel like things are I guess facing the right direction yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it, it was it, it was decent at times last year. They just gave up way too many plays in the back end. Bottom line, and, and they they switched some coaches up there. Um, I think it was a pretty heralded uh, addition. They they went and got Derek Jones from Duke, who had been there like fifteen, sixteen years, and their coach Cutcliffe, very widely respected. He's known Keith Patterson and Matt Wells for years uh, since their days back at Tulsa, I think, or a long time ago, and so. He was hard to get out of there. They paid him well. They've, they've added a grad transfer from LSU. They've added some junior college guys, and they've just really tried to shore up and get older uh, and bigger and faster in that in that back end. But um, it, it, and I don't want to say it's hard to be much worse than it was last year, but it's definitely trending in the right way. They, they just again too many chunk plays on the back end, and then to go with not being able to turn it over enough. You know, you didn't you didn't get enough takeaways and. You fix that just a little bit and fix the, the big plays just a little bit, and, and you're certainly improved by quite a bit. So is everybody in Lubbock just geeked for football to start, or is, the, is there like a, a cautious optimism, not wanting to get too excited because of the possibility of, of things potentially shutting down? It's the latter, definitely. I think there's people very excited, but then there's people that are just like, man, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. Who knows? It's crazy times that we're in. There, there's just no doubt, and it's – it's especially frustrating for those of us that are so routine oriented based on, you know, whatever season it is at the time. And then you're just <laughs> right. like, you know, I mean, it's like right now you've got, you know, it's like hour to hour or day by day on for games being played or games being postponed. What's the opponent look like? I mean, you know, how often do we have a football schedule memorized by like May 
and and now you get, you get into mid-August. Tech Baylor doesn't even know who they're playing in their non-conference game, and it's August the seventeenth. I mean, it's just nuts. But yeah, there, there's definitely a cautious optimism here. But um, it depends on where you are and who you talk to. Some people are like, "Put on the gas, let's go." Of course, it's happening. And other people are like, you know, the, the exact opposite. So it just depends on kind of who you visit with to kind of get a true feel. But uh, and and I go back and forth. You know, it's like it depends on what uh, who I'm around next to kind of sways my my thought process there, but I certainly hope it does happen for all kinds of reasons. If it does happen, what does that mean for you as far as the, the game broadcast? Are you guys doing anything significantly different? Is is it going to be presented in a different way? I, I figure that on the list of decisions that need to be made, that's going to be like the very the bottom, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I do know that I, I believe, you know, I do Coach Wells' uh, radio show every week, and I don't believe, and I, I think uh, – this is be pretty standard, but like I won't be with him when I, when we do that. Uh, if if we do end up getting a season, like he'll be at a different, maybe in his office or something. I just I think most of these schools are going to protect their coaches from being around you know people and, and, right. and uh, uh, any unneeded uh, potential interactions. And so that's going to be very different, and just not being around the, the guys in general because they're going through different protocol and all kinds of testing. And and, and those of us that are just you know obviously not operating in that sort of bubble, I guess, um, you know, they, they will try to keep us at arm's length, but that's tricky when you're a broadcaster and you're using the kind of used to being around these guys. So as far as what a game day looks like, I'm not real sure. I don't know if they've gotten that far yet. And that's the part that I'm gives me, you know, some cautious optimism as well. Don't know about traveling with them. Don't know about what it looks like on a game day. Uh, all great questions. And I'd so, uh, love to know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I let you run, uh, basically everywhere I've looked as far as if the season happens and ranking these Big 12 teams, I've seen Tech from 7 to 9. Is that is that about the anticipation, or, or is there optimism that maybe they are uh, an overachiever this year? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's very fair. I mean, it based because so much of that is based on last year. So much of that is based on, you know, a lot of times you base things on like, okay, what happened in the spring and this and that. You know, well, we didn't we didn't have one. Uh, but, you know, I, I know Wells has added probably – geez, they've added probably 10 to 12 players since the beginning of the spring just via the, the transfer option and the portal and all those things. I mean, we're talking – I mentioned the Utah State. You, you've added one from Alabama. You've added one from LSU. Uh, on and on it goes. And so they, they've definitely tried to use every available option. That, you know, they may be not done adding from a Power 5 level either, even if, as I sit here today. But it's just going to come down to winning close games, Colby. And that bottom line is if they figure out how to do that, they'll, they'll go to a bowl game if they play a full 10. If they don't, then, then it's going to be, you know, another, you know, three, four, five win season type deal when you're considering just playing 10 games. But if you figure out a way to win close games, I think you'll be okay. And that's going to be you know, imperative on keeping your QB healthy. Alan Bowman, I think people, if they see 10 games out of Alan Bowman, you'll really like what you see. It's just a matter of being able to see that. Are we ever going to see that? Not real sure. Yeah, I saw a graphic the other day that that had the top 10 passing yard seasons in Big 12 history, and like six of them were tech quarterbacks. And I I, I was thinking if Alan Bowman stays healthy, he he just kind of seems like another one that would make that list. And and two years ago when he was a freshman, he was the nation's leading passer at the time that he went down. And that that was just a fluke deal for for people that call him injury-prone. I mean, you get sandwiched by two West Virginia defenders at the exact same time. That's what caused the collapsed lungs. I mean, how, how many times do we see football games and you never see somebody get, like, just sandwiched perfectly 
like that. That was just a fluke deal, you know, and that's that's unfortunate, and that's what kind of cost him that year. And last year, he just had a Arizona defensive end land on him and ding up his collarbone or whatever. And so here we are. But uh, but yeah, he was he was really good as a true freshman. Certainly, certainly, uh, uh, I think it's done him some good in the court of public opinion too. As far as people that haven't seen a ton of football from him, remember how good he was then. Chris, it's great to catch up with you again. Hopefully everything kicks off and, and we're able to, to catch up again as the season rolls on. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on. Fingers crossed, man. We all we all need it for all kinds of reasons, certainly. No doubt. Stay safe, my friend. Okay, you too. The West Virginia Mountaineers, 5-7 and seven in 2019. Neil Brown, another one of the first-year head coaches a season ago, enters year number two in Morgantown. Our guest previewing the Mountaineers, publisher of BlueGoldNews.com, Kevin Kinder. Kevin Kinder, my friend, how are you? Doing well, Kobe. Yeah, I'm trying to get this football season underway. Well, it, we got the green light, so everything is at least moving forward, barring uh, college kids being college kids, I guess. And and full transparency, I've told everybody this. If I were college-aged, I would have a hard time not going to bars, not going to parties. But at this point, you know, I, I think the powers that be have done their part, and now this all kind of falls on the, the athletes to make the right decisions, right? You know, that's the way we're looking at it right now. Like you said, you know, in the general population of students, especially kids in their first year of college or whatever, tough to keep them, uh, you know, sequestered, I guess, as it were. It, it kind of is on, on the athletes, football, basketball, you know, all the sports we're talking about. Can they keep away? Can they manage to kind of create their own bubble, you know, as much as they can and keep out of that so that they can have the seasons which they say they want to have? Well, let's, uh, let's talk about West Virginia football as if there isn't anything else happening in the world. Um, <laughs> this was a team a year ago that I felt like was going to be one of the bottom two teams in the league. In fact, I think I voted them nine in the preseason poll. Um, they were significantly more competitive than I maybe gave them credit for a season ago in, in Neil Brown's first year. They were. Uh, competitive is a good word for it. They struggled offensively. Obviously, we can talk about that a little bit more. The defense really improved as the season went along. The last three or four games of the season kind of found their groove a little bit. It's a unique defense that West Virginia is running. Kind of a mix of a 3-3, a 3-4, some 4-2-5 mixed in. And I think they got more comfortable with that. Got two wins in their last three games over Kansas State and TCU and hope to provide a little bit of a springboard for this year. Well, let's start with the offense. Uh, you mentioned the offensive struggles last season. I, I think especially knowing the skill set that Austin Kendall possessed, I, I'm not saying anybody thought he was going to be an all-conference guy, but I, I think to see him struggle to the degree he did was a little bit surprising. It was, and I think several things went into that. You know, it's a new offense. Uh, you know, there's elements of the spread in there, the passing game throw it around, but it's different. Uh, he had a little bit of a knee problem. He got a big cut on his hand at the, after the Kansas game. During the Kansas game, I think that affected him a little bit. And then the offensive line was really unsettled. It was okay, average pass blocking. Uh, West Virginia had a horrendous running game, uh, which is their number one priority for fixing this year. So you kind of put all those things together, you know, made a little bit of unease for him. And, you know, I think that, you know, that really contributed to a lot of his struggles. And he wasn't quite as accurate as what they hoped. Um, there, Davey came in, played the last four games uh, to preserve his red shirt year and did pretty well. And like we said, West Virginia played a little better later, but some of that was for the defense. So, 
it's still a battle. And as far as West Virginia's coaches are concerned, they probably has a little bit of the inside track, but it's still going to be a competition uh, through the rest of the fall. Yeah, that was my next question. How does how does the competition look? You mentioned Daggy having a little bit of an edge. What do you think ultimately is the the decider between these two? Like, what is it decision making? Like, how do you really see the balance shifting between one or the other? Two things. You hit on one of them: decision making, and the other one is accuracy. Uh, Neil Brown's offense is big on making the right decision, getting the ball out. But like any sort of offense like that, you've got to put the ball in the right place where receivers can catch it and run, you know, where they don't have to adjust with it because you're, you know, attacking some narrow gaps and narrow holes and windows in the defense. So those two things, avoiding interceptions and being accurate, Ziggy was a little better at that last year. is a little more accurate than Kendall. So uh, that's where Austin has to make up ground if he wants to make a push for the starting job this year. Who are the, the fantasy football stars on this team? Who are the, the, the guys that are going to be scoring the, the touchdowns and making the big plays? Do they have any game-breaker-type guys on this roster? Uh, you've got to look at wide receiver there. They do have some speed on the outside, some guys that got some uh, time last year. Uh, Bryce Ford, Wheaton, and Winston Wright are two really speedy guys on the outside. And then they have an experienced receiver in T.J. Simmons, a bigger guy, catches it really well, can post up. And then, of course, Sam James. Uh, His problem was being consistent catching the ball. He also had a lot of speed. uh, could get downfield, but drops plagued him some last year. So at least in the passing game, uh, there are a lot of weapons uh, for whoever, whichever quarterback eventually wins that job. Uh, Running back, probably be a two-man competition starting out, Letty Brown and Alex Sinfield. Letty's more of a thumper. Uh, Alex Infield is more of a make-you-miss guy, which he's been working, uh, you know, on developing that skill a little more. So if the offensive line comes along, I think the weapons are there for West Virginia to show some improvement on offense. I kind of felt like I had a hard time identifying the identity of West Virginia offensively. In in a, a perfect world, what does Neil Brown want this offense to look like? I think he wants it to spread around and be really multiple and be able to take advantage of what the defense gives them. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing, but that was what he did when he had his best teams at Troy. He had five, six, seven guys at skill positions on offense who could make plays and take advantage. If you were trying to take one thing away, they could do something else. He had quarterbacks that weren't necessarily superstars but could distribute the ball around, make the good decisions. Uh, they want to be able to not be so one-dimensional. Last year, as I mentioned, West Virginia just could not run the ball at all. Uh, in order to run it, they just had to like throw a screen and swing passes down the line, try to run wide. It was a smoke and mirrors thing. So developing that and being able to take what the defense gives it, I think that is really Neil Brown's signature play. As far as the offensive line goes, I always feel like there's at least a couple of all-conference type talents for West Virginia. Is is that the case this year? Uh, uh, be <laughs> I'll, hard. I'll yeah. take that as a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, there are some guys that they think have the potential to be good. James Gemitter at center, Chase Barron at right guard, who have not played a lot of offensive line in their careers, uh, even in high school going back to those days. So, they feel like those guys are coming along. They have a couple of uh, uh, prospects to tackle, Junior Zabu, Parker Moore, John Hughes, Brandon Yates, but these are all younger guys. Uh, you know, guys that got a few snaps last year, 
but really need to, you know, come on and develop this year. You know, it's one of those things where you look at them and say, yeah, I can, I can see that those guys have some ability. Every snap is crucial for them, especially, you know, in this strange preseason. Every snap that they can get together, work together, try to hone things to get to the point where they are representative in the run game and really get a pass blocking. I was kind of surprised to see Josh Sills leave, and, and obviously that's a huge get for Oklahoma State, but what was the story there? Uh, it was really big. You know, I don't think he you know, was happy necessarily with the way the injury situation played out for him. Uh, he got hurt and eventually did not play the rest of the year. Uh, I think there was, uh, you know, some unhappiness in trying to, you know, see what his situation was. I don't know if he had a particular thing with one coach or another, but it was pretty obvious that that hadn't worked out early on. He ended up uh, deciding not to play the rest of the year and then left soon after. And that was a big loss because he certainly would have been the leader on the offensive line this year had he stayed. As far as the defense goes, uh, the Stills kid in the middle, I forget which one, um, is it uh, is it Darius that had Darius, the seven yep. sacks a year ago? Uh, he was a guy that I thought really flashed, uh, but how do you see this this defensive unit? Actually, both. I mean, Darius is one of the uh, conference defensive player of the year, players of the year picked there. His brother, Dante, might have a little bit more natural skill, but still working to develop that and be as consistent as Darius is. Those two guys playing beside each other could be the best tandem in the conference, and I don't throw those things out lightly because they're really good players in this league. But if Dante continues to progress the way he is, Darius plays up to his expectations. They could be really dominant at nose tackle and defensive tackle in the middle of the line. And then working the way back from there, West Virginia has gotten deeper. They've gotten some transfers, more players at the safety positions, which will allow them to play some more coverages, some different looks behind it, mix things up some more. So there is some excitement about the defense this year. It improved some, as I mentioned last year. I think it could be better this year. Obviously, the defense was the better unit a season ago, but am I wrong in, in feeling like the secondary wasn't as as good maybe as it's been? No, that's a fair assessment. You know, it was okay. Uh, the corners were put in some tough spots because the safeties in West Virginia plays three safeties and sometimes four safeties in its defense weren't great overall at pass coverage, so kind of hung the corners out in some tough positions. Uh, so I feel like, you know, that was a little bit of a problem by committee. This year, West Virginia's coaches, at least early on, feel like they've got more players uh, at those safety spots that can help in pass coverage. They feel like they're better up front pass rush with the Stills brothers, with Jeffrey Pooler, who has come back in really excellent shape at defensive end. So that's going to be kind of a you know improvement, I think, you know, by overall, by addition of some of its parts. Uh, they have, they've got corners in Nick Troy Fortune, Drayshon Miller, um, Tay Mayo, Jackie Matthews. They have four guys they think they can win with. So, you know, if there's anywhere there's optimism, it's definitely on the defense and for improvement in the back end. Five and seven a year ago, obviously this is going to be a shortened season with only 10 games, but what, what for you would be the expectation and, and what do you feel like would be a successful season? You know, I think it'd be successful to get to a bowl game. And West Virginia was close there last year. Uh, you know, if you could get five and five or six and four, I think that's legitimate. Uh, that's a, a you know a fair expectation. They've got a run of games in the middle of the schedule 
where they could put together some wins. They opened the league schedule with Oklahoma State, which is tough, and they finished with Oklahoma and Iowa State. Obviously, that's no picnic. In the middle, though, you know, they've got a, a group of games there. You know, they could go 4-1 and one in there, somewhere like that. You know, I don't think six wins is, is unrealistic with this, with this schedule and where the program is right now. I think for teams like – there's a group of teams for me, at least, with like TCU and Kansas State and West Virginia and Texas Tech that – I, I could see kind of finishing in about any order, and, and those games amongst each other, I think, go a long way to determining how that's going to look. But those are the, the swing games that I think probably determine, you know, of that group, the, the teams that finish toward the middle maybe of the conference or even on the upper half versus the teams that are going to be at the very bottom. 100% agree. Uh, you know, just call that the little mini conference there. If, if a team can – you know, win three out of those four games or four out of those five, you could throw in Texas, which is perennially the most overrated team and program <laughs> right. in the country. <laughs> um, yeah, if you grouping in there, if you can come out on top in those games and then take your shots at the other, maybe get one upset, yeah, that, that's your shot to finish third or fourth upper half of the league. And that's obviously what a lot of teams are shooting for. That would be West Virginia's uh, high end this year. I do think they have the ability to do it, but some of those other teams you mentioned, they do too. I think that's going to be some very interesting games. Well, Kevin, it's good to hear your voice, my friend. Uh, it's been way too long, and hopefully nothing prevents us from talking again throughout the fall. Absolutely, man. We've had so many other things and angles to cover. It's really a pleasure to talk some football again. For sure, man. Stay safe, and we'll chat again soon. Definitely. Thanks very much. And finally, we have the Iowa State Cyclones. 7-6 and six in 2019, Matt Campbell going into his fifth year in Ames, Iowa. Our guest is the managing editor of CycloneFanatic.com, Jared Stansberry. I just got to start out with going back to last season because I felt like 7-6 and six was a massive disappointment in terms of my individual expectation for Iowa State. I felt like they were preseason two or three in the league, and I felt like they were going to be one of those teams that I expected to to potentially be in the Big 12 title game a year ago. Thoughts on just how last season unfolded? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, um, that's definitely fair. And then, you know, I, I think there was a lot that, that really went into, uh, into that disappointment, obviously going, I think, two and four in one-score games, uh, you know, where – you lose a close one to Iowa early on in the season. I think they lost by one point. Uh, you lose to Baylor by two points. You lose to Oklahoma by one point. Uh, so, I mean, there was a, those three games right there, you know, you swing those the other way, and all of a sudden you finish the season 10-3. and three. And uh, it's a, you know, completely different kind of ball game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely fair, but you look at a lot of the youth that they had uh, on the team, and, you know, they had guys that were coming back, but even still, you know, your starting quarterback's a true sophomore. Um, a couple of your top pass catchers are, are sophomores. Uh, you know, you had some quite a bit of youth on the defensive side, especially after some of the injuries. Uh, Jaquan Bailey only played in four games, who um, is still tied for the all-time uh, career sacks lead at Iowa State. And then Greg Eisworth, who's kind of a linchpin of your entire defensive scheme. Uh, he, he was banged up for a lot of the season, and, um, and that really made a big, big impact. So, yeah, I think it's definitely fair to, to say that it was a, a disappointment, but um, you look at I mean, and all those names that I just threw out there are all coming back for, for this year. And um, there's going to be, a, you know, all that same cast of characters will be will be ready to run it back in 2020. There were times that I felt like Brock Purdy just had a hard time settling into to games. 
Um, and, and I don't know how much of that was maybe the, the trust level in, in the playmakers around him. I mean, you don't lose a David Montgomery and, and Alan Lazard from his freshman season and, and just naturally have the same type of talented athletes pick up where they left off. But did you get that sense last year that it, he just kind of had a, a hard time getting comfortable within that offense? Um, I think that there, that's definitely fair, it, you know, at some point. Uh, I think it definitely helped as the season went on. Uh, where, when you got Brees Hall uh, at the running back position, he really solidified that spot and uh, made and, and kind of allowed that running game to, to take a bigger whole, uh, bigger piece of the offense. Uh, so that was really helpful for Brock, I think. Um, but then, yeah, you, had, you obviously had to replace Akeem Butler. Uh, you had to replace a Trevor Ryan in the receiving core, like there's a bunch of dudes that you had to, um, a bunch of holes that you had to fill at those spots. And uh, but as the season went on, you started to see him um, get a lot, a lot more comfortable with Charlie Kohler at the tight end position. Uh, started to see Deshante Jones and the Michael Petway, who are, are both going to be gone this year, um, start to emerge. But then Tariq Milton and Sean Shaw and uh, some of the other guys that they're going to have coming back this season. I mean, you really start to see them emerge. So yeah, you had to replace those the two, obviously the two main guys in David and Hakeem. Uh, last year, and uh, I'm sure that there were some growing pains that came along with that. Uh, but as the season went on a little bit, you started to see uh, some of those younger guys emerge, and, and Brock started to get more comfortable with them, and, and I think that that really helped that a little bit. Yeah, that's why I met Hakeem Butler. Lazard was was the year before. Uh, but yeah, he was he was an amazing playmaker for that offense two years ago. Um, you mentioned Charlie Kolar, and that's a Norman guy, so we're, we're familiar with him in Oklahoma, but I, I heard an NFL draft guy the other day say that he reminded him a lot of Travis Kelsey and, and George Kittle in terms of what type of guy he could be at the next level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that he has proven in these two years to be a, a really dynamic playmaker, especially, you know, catching the ball. I think that his um, blocking still has, is kind of coming along. Uh, I know that when he was playing in high school, he really never had to block at all from what I've ever uh, from what I've ever heard and what I remember of watching him on film. But, um, you know, he's a guy that you can kind of – you can you can put him attached and you can have his hand on the ground and he can be a, a dangerous pass catcher, but then you can also spread him out and put him in the slot uh, and he can and he can create mismatches that way. And um, he's, he's proven to be – I mean, I think he's one of – if not the best tight end in the country, he's right up there. Uh, and it, it's going to be pretty fun to watch him here play this his junior season because I think you've really seen him come into his own at that – at that tight end position and um, seeing him solidify himself as one of the best. How are they up front as far as the, the offensive line? So it's, that's probably going to be the biggest, I mean, that's the biggest question mark for Iowa State every year, you know, and that that's not anything new, but um, you got to replace four starters. Right? Well, technically three, I guess, because you bring back a guy who was injured for a lot of last season, who was your starting center as a redshirt freshman two years ago. Um, he'll probably slide in at one of the guards at either the guard spot or back in at center. Um, and you bring back Trevor Downing, who will be a, a redshirt sophomore that uh, was probably their most consistent offensive lineman a year ago. Uh, and I know that they feel really comfortable in what he brings to the table. But the difference between these past couple of seasons when you've had to shuffle some stuff around up front uh, to this year is I think that the floor of the talent that they brought in here in recent years is much higher than what it was previously. You've had a couple pretty solid offensive line classes come in, and, and none of those kids have, have been in positions where they've had to play because you've had older guys who are in front of them, Julian Good-Jones, Bryce Meeker, two guys who played a ton of snaps at Iowa State. Josh Knipple is another one of those guys. And, um, you know, they're all gone. But uh, with guys like um, man, uh, Joey Ramos, 
um, uh, Jake Remsburg, uh, Robert Hudson. I mean, they're, we haven't gotten to see them much yet, but everybody in the program feels really good about them. And, they, and the fact that they've all kind of been able to grow together, uh, I think they, they see that as a major positive. As far as the defense goes, I, I felt like going into last year, this was the best defense in the league. I, I voted uh, Jaquan Bailey the preseason defensive player of the year. Um, he, he comes back with, I guess, the medical red shirt this year, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he only played in four games last season. What's Is, is he expected to be 100% and, and, I guess, be kind of in that running again? Yeah, for sure. Uh, from all everything that I've heard um, – Jaquan has come back as, as a completely different guy. I mean, he was a, a guy that they signed in the in Matt Campbell's first recruiting class uh, and was a, a dynamic talent. I mean, immediately when he got on campus at Iowa State, had a really good freshman season. Um, but, he, you know, from everybody in the program, it sounded like he was a little bit immature and he just needed to kind of grow into, uh, you know, being a college football player, being a high-level college football player. And it sounds like really going into last season that it kind of started. But now this year, after having to sit out, you know, kind of having to take your lumps to sitting on the sidelines all the time, which he never had to do in college, uh, I think that really made an impact on him. And it sounds like he has come back in, in the best shape that he's been in um, and is, is ready to go and, and be able to, to make a major impact for Iowa State this year. Uh, you know, there's a reason that – I mean, it's – if you don't, you only play in four games last season, you're a preseason All-Big 12 player, and then you only play in four games, and then basically, you know, people probably, it gives a lot of people an opportunity to forget about you. Uh, but even then, he was still a, a preseason All-Big 12 pick this year. So I think that that just goes to show what the talent that he has. And, um, you know, I think that he can come in and be a really, really good playmaker for them. And they're going to need him. I mean, you know, you lose a guy in Ray Lima in the middle, who was a, a huge piece of that defense the last couple of years. But, uh, I think that this Iowa State pass rush has had some pieces with him. Uh, Will McDonald, who really came on at the end of last season as a redshirt freshman. Uh, Zach Peterson at the other defensive line spot. And then Eddie Wazirike, uh, who is is probably going to move inside after playing at the end the last couple of years. And then you bring in a guy in Latrell Bankston, who was the National Junior College Player of the Year last year uh, down at Hutchinson Community College. So I think that um, they feel really good about those pieces. And, and Jaquan is obviously you know kind of the – uh, the leading force of that. You expect the defense to be as good as they were last year, better or worse? Uh, I think that they they have the potential to be better um, because of Eisworth being healthy again. Uh, when Greg Eisworth was health, healthy, that defense was was salty, you know, just like it had been the, the two previous seasons. But when um, once he started to get hurt, you really had to kind of put some people in some positions that they normally wouldn't play. Uh, and and he's just a guy who is a game changer uh, at, at the in the secondary. And um, but you bring back three guys at, at the cornerback spots who have played a lot of time, played a lot of snaps at Iowa State: Anthony Johnson, Gatron Young, and Tavon Kyle. Uh, and then you, you got Lawrence White coming back at the other safety position as a guy that they feel really good about. Um, and then you bring back two of your linebackers and Mike Rose and Orion Vance. Uh, Mike Rose is obviously a guy who has been on the scene now for for a while as a multiple time All Big Twelve player. Uh, and then you do have to replace Marcel Spears at the third linebacker spot. But Jake Hummel is a guy who, as coming into his senior season, has never really gotten much of an opportunity to play major snaps. Uh, but I don't think they feel like he's going to, to even skip a beat because I think that he was basically like a fourth starter on some level uh, last season where they felt comfortable shifting him in there at, at any position. And 
um, and he'll slide in and, and play that third linebacker spot. So I think that they've got the pieces to be um, to be as good, probably even better than they were a year ago. Uh, it's just you know it, it's, just, it's this way for everybody. You know, if, if injuries, you get bit by the injury bug, then um, things can go south in a hurry. And I, like I mentioned before, I think that that was kind of what the issue was for them last year, especially later in the season. I really like Matt Campbell, and if you had told me after the 2017 season that he was still going to be at Iowa State in 2020, I would have thought you were crazy because I, I would have anticipated one of the you know monster jobs around the country would have snagged him by now. But um, the guy's now been there for, what, fifth, sixth year uh, going into this season? He's one yeah, of the veterans now in the league. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I want to say he's, what, the third longest tenured coach in the Big 12? Yeah, just behind Gundy uh, and Patterson, I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely wild. But, um, man, the thing I'll say about Matt Campbell is, you know, I've had an opportunity to be around quite a few coaches uh, now since I've been doing this. And, um, obviously, Paula Rhodes is the only other football coach I've been around, but just is, is basketball and all that kind of stuff. But, man, there's something different about that guy, <laughs> about Matt Campbell. Uh, <laughs> he just He's one of those guys that um, – man, just having the, any kind of conversation with him, it's like, man, now I want to go run through a brick wall. And, uh, you know, I think that he is really – he really wants to build something at Iowa State. He really feels like the pieces are in place, and now they're building a, a, a brand-new $100 million addition to their uh, to their football building um, and renovating a, a huge portion of Jack Trice Stadium in the area surrounding it. Uh, and I feel like he thinks that that can even take them to another level. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, Matt Campbell is, is – he wants – he said on his first day at Iowa State in his open press conference that – um, he wanted to win a championship in Ames, Iowa, and I think that uh, he's going to do everything that he can to, to make that vision a reality. If if the injury bug doesn't bite this team again this year and we get through an entire season, what to you is the expectation? What should they accomplish, and what would be a successful season? Oh, man. Um, it's, it's crazy to think about just the 10-game the schedule like changes the whole <laughs> right. dynamic of, of things a little bit just because it's like, oh, what's the, you know, what's the reasonable number of games to win? But, um, man, I think that uh, if they're competing at the top of the conference uh, and they, you know, are in a position to, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that the expectation should go to the Big 12 championship game because until Iowa State goes to a Big 12 championship game, I think that's probably unrealistic to make that the expectation. But um, I think the expectation should definitely be to um, be in there in the running for it. Uh, you know, everybody's everybody's going to have a difficult schedule uh, this year, and it's obviously going to be a weird one. But um, I think that when you look at the you know, kind of everybody's got their three game pods or you know whatever broken up by the uh, by the bye weeks. Uh, they've got Oklahoma in that first three three game pod. They've got Oklahoma State in the second one, and then they've got Texas in the third one. And um, I think that if if Iowa State can be in a position where they're going down to Austin, Texas on uh, whatever that would be November twenty first, I think, um, and it's and it's got some sort of Big Twelve implications on the line, then you'll you'll know that it's definitely been a successful season for uh, for the Cyclones. When I look at the league going into this year, I don't feel like there's a lot of separation, really, from top to bottom. I, I think, mm -hmm. and and especially in that middle group, I feel like all those teams are really competitive, and and maybe there's a few things that separate the upper half from the lower half. But when I look at Iowa State, for me at least, I, I feel like they're a top five team in this league. If they don't finish in the upper half of the league this year, I think it's probably a disappointment for me at least. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's probably fair. Um, and I think when you, and I, I definitely agree with you about the, you know, 
there being little separation. I mean, Oklahoma is going to be number one until someone until someone knocks them off the throne. Uh, you know, the kings stay kings, and um, I think that. But if, if there was ever a year where someone could topple them, obviously, you know, Spencer Rattler was a, a blue chip recruit. But uh, you know, I guess when you're not bringing in a high level graduate transfer like what they have the last two seasons, then you know, kind of or transfer, I guess, then um, you know, you never know. But uh, Oklahoma State's obviously got a ton of talent, especially on the offensive side, and they bring back a bunch of starters on defense. But uh, and then Texas is always going to be super talented. But I think that right there, that you know, I'd probably throw TCU um, is kind of right there in that in that mix. I don't know about you, but uh, I think with Max Duggan, they could be um, if he can make some take some steps forward. He's a, I mean, obviously he's from Council Bluffs, Iowa. He's a kid that um, I've gotten an opportunity yeah. to to watch a lot and, uh, and got to watch him play in high school. He's a very dynamic talent, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he really took a step forward. But um, I think Iowa State can be right there in the, in the mix with all those teams, and um, I think that they've got the talent coming back this season, and I think that they feel like they have the talent coming back this season to uh, really make a run there at the, at the top. Jared, it's good to catch up with you, man. I'm glad that uh, we're actually able to talk about football for the first time in a while. I know, man. It's, uh, it's been an interesting, I don't know, what, five months? Uh, I'm just ready to kick it off on September 12th. I can tell you that. No doubt, man. We'll stay safe, and hopefully nothing prevents us from uh, having another conversation here in a few weeks. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. And that concludes this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and share the podcast. That's greatly appreciated by me. You can contact me via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels, Instagram, Colby.Daniels. I look forward to hearing from you guys. Everyone have a great weekend. Stay safe, and I will talk to you soon. Podcast is over.